The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, this is Rich Ladder here. We are across the street from MSG. NY, baby! New York City, Madison Square Garden. Hey, y'all boy, come on. Come yeah, on. man, Jeremy Donovan here from Keeping It Strong Style and Social Suplex. We're here with one half of the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. And one half of Gorillas of Destiny, but one whole of Tama motherfucking Tonga. Realest of the realest. Hey, ain't nobody realer than Gorilla. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Dominic here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the new beginning in Osaka, answering your questions, and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on that donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. All right, young boy, we got a packed show today, uh, tons of news, new beginning in Osaka, lots of stuff going on in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yep, that and the review of what many are calling a show of the decade contender. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Many. Many? Many. <laughs> uh, how much is many? Uh, well, I'm saying it. And you know my opinions are always in line with the general consensus, so many. (laughs) (laughs) You know, speaking of, you mentioned show of the decade. Uh, I know we were talking about doing um, some decade awards. We never really, did we ever announce that on the show? We didn't. Yeah. Are we still going to do that? Because I was kind of like, you know, my whole thing was this, was like, okay, well, we did the like, year-end awards, and then it was like, dang, it feels like it would take a long time time to like compile and put out the energy to do a decade sh- like awards list but i mean we could do it i mean do you want to do it we're on the air we're talking about it yeah i mean i guess so let's do it i don't know if i'm qualified to uh nominate shows of the decade right i don't think that was a category we we're gonna do no we talked about uh heavyweight of the decade junior of the decade match of the decade and i think that's pretty much it right yeah, yeah. Was there anything else? I think those are pretty sure those are the ones we locked down. So, 
Yeah, stay tuned for that. We'll probably we'll figure out when we're going to drop that voting for the last decade. You know, I think we could do a show of the decade pretty easily, to be honest. Like, that probably wouldn't be that hard. With, with, with resources like Cage Match and things of that and like Observer, Observer yeah. Awards, we could probably do this show of the decade, too. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for that. The first ever Keeping a Strong Style Decade Awards. Uh, we'll get that put together. And what about Strong Style Fight of the Decade? What about Wrestling Signature Move of the Decade? Probably do those. Okay, and we'll do those. We'll also do... Uh, oh, no, we were going to do Junior Match of the Decade. That's right, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was the other one. Yeah. No, I, you know, I'm just coming up with stuff to, to just add on to make, <laughs> make your life harder. What if we did um, Referee of the Decade? <laughs> Booker of the Decade. <laughs> Gato, Red Shoes. <laughs> But no, yeah, uh, so how do you want to do that? You want to put that, I mean, like, we'll put it out like our, our regular annual voting. Yeah, I'll do like a Google Doc uh, voting kind of spreadsheet like I do for the year in awards, and we'll get those out there at some point. All right, I guess we're doing it. Cool. All right. Um, all right, so we had a lot of stuff going on this past week in uh, World New Japan. Uh, we had uh, a few Road to New Beginning shows last week coming from Cork and Hall. Um, so really enjoyable shows, uh, kind of building up to New Beginning in Osaka. How many was it? Three. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of last week. Um, and so kind of the two major highlights from those shows. Uh, so from that February fourth show, the main event was a eight man tag elimination match with Chaos, uh, Okada, Show, Will Ospreay, and Yo. Defeating the Suzuki Gun team of Desperado, Taichi, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, Will Ospreay getting the pin over Zack Sabre Jr. at the end there, which is going to give Ospreay a rematch for the Rev Pro title at the February 14th Rev Pro High Stakes event. Um, that, I mean, if it's anything even a Midicum as good as what we saw, you know, um, during last week, uh, I, I gotta see that match. Yeah, it's especially gonna, in your call in in front of a like raucous you know British crowd. Yeah, it's a sold out uh, event. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a packed house. God, I hope it's better than that pack uh, <laughs> Osprey match from last year. <laughs> yeah, hopefully there's like you know, you know clean finish and uh, you know no shenanigans there. You notice that match didn't do so hot on the uh, Voice Wrestling Top 100. Yeah, it did not. Mm. Um, also, from the uh, new beginning, we had um, from February 6th, that Thursday show, there was the Never Open Weight six man tag title match that had been building up for the while. The champions, Bushi, Evil, and Chingo, uh, defended against the chaos team of Goto, Eagles, and Ishii, getting the win. Bushi getting a little bit of revenge here, getting the pin on Robbie Eagles, and getting the win for the team there. Nice. And then um, after the match, the belts were stolen. By Toro Yanu and Risuke Taguchi uh, cutting promos saying that Taguchi Japan, they're coming for all the belts well, in 2020. We're going to learn more about that, but yeah, that seems to be the case. Taguchi Japan is uh, going after all the gold. Yep. Um, full disclosure, I did not watch these Road to New Beginning shows. Um, I am currently studying for my licensing, uh, for my financial license. Um I know that earlier last year, around G1 time, I had mentioned the same thing. Uh, due to a personal circumstance, death in the family, I kind of took a step back from that and was able to kind of provide you guys with coverage. But in the near future, going forward, 
it, I, it is going to basically limit some of my coverage of these road to shows, but I was kind of mad because, you know, it's like, I, I don't watch a road to show. And then all of a sudden there's bangers and stories being progressed and like major angles. And I'm like, what the heck? Like that never happens on road to shows. Yeah. We also had like, you know, the continuation of the Suji Yamura rivalry, uh, things being tied up there with uh, Yamura getting the win over Suji. We had a uh, Gabriel kid in action. Um, so a lot of great stuff there. On these uh, road two shows that are all about two and a half hours, really easy to watch. What were the the so the main stories were basically the fording of Zack Saber Jr. and um, Will Osprey. Yep, and then that uh, that never six man match, and of course there was multi mans with you know the big matches from Osaka, if you know uh, Sonata and Naito and Jay White and Kenta, a mix of all that stuff there, and the, also there was one match that you particularly liked that you rated pretty high. It was a six-man tag. Yeah, so the six-man tag, that, that never six-man tag, and this eight-man elimination, I believe I gave both, oh, of, them, was. both of them four stars. Okay. Uh, so both of those matches are definitely worth a watch. So if I were to go back, those are the two that you are that you would highly recommend uh, c- checking out? Yeah, definitely. Okay, awesome. Well, then that brings us to the new beginning in Osaka, taking place in Osaka. Joe Hall have an attendance here of 11,000. 411 sold out show here Standing room only ladies and gentlemen So and that is huge Huge um, You know they normally only run Osaka Joe Hall for Dominion And so running it twice in one year Big sellout event You know it was it's all kind of leaning on that angle from Russell Kingdom Between um, Kenta and Naito Was that going to draw And yes it drew that night They got the heat they needed They did a great job building up the match and the rivalry, and we got a full house here. Osaka Joe Hall, pack crowd, a lively crowd on um, on tap for this show here. Yeah, you know, um, we had a lot of uh, somewhat, I, I don't know if I would go out and say criticisms, but there was definitely some questioning about the decision to have Kenta attack Naito, you know, in the main event. Like right after the main event on the second night of Wrestle Kingdom, and whether that was a good idea or not, and you know, so on and so forth, that sort of thing. And um, ultimately, wrestling's a business, <laughs> you know, uh, it's about drawing fans, drawing eyeballs, putting butts in the seats, and uh, you know, the bottom dollar for the company. And the thing that we kind of said was, we we're like, you know, at the end of the day, we'll have to see how it pans out, what the reaction to the from the fan base is as far as their. Uh, willingness to sell out Osaka Joe Hall. We knew it was a big ask for the company to run this building. They usually only run it during Dominion, which is their second biggest show of the year. Uh, they did it in February for New Beginning, which is you know unheard of. They they haven't done anything like that in a long, long time, and they sold it out. Uh, you know we'll have some discussion about that match, about that feud later on. But I mean, from a booking standpoint you can't call that anything but a success because they did what they were supposed to do. They sold tickets. Right, yeah, it was a big win as far as, yeah, the business side of things, getting that packed house. They did a good job, you know, really heating up Kenta and getting fans invested in wanting to see Naito get revenge and come up on Kenta. And they had a great undercard as well. So the the other thing too is, um, you know, I know we had some criticism about what we as U.S. fans got on the U.S. you know tours and those matches and those talent announcements, we we're kind of like, man, they didn't really uh, deliver anything to us. And and you know what, the success of that venture still remains to be seen. But that being said, 
we talked about how stacked this show was, you know, Jay White, Sonata, Hiromu, Dragon Lee, Mox and Suzuki, and then Kenta Naito for the double gold. I mean, that goes a look at the business they did. You know, they sold out, you know, they, they drew a huge gate in one of the biggest buildings that they can run in Japan. So, I mean, um, you know, regardless of how those U.S. shows went, that's that's a success for them. And, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that they did the right or wrong thing because, I mean, they could have gone about it a few different ways. But, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Right. At least when it comes to this side of things over on that side, you know? Yeah. All right, so let's uh, start breaking this show down. We'll start from the top here. Opening matchup, we had... Uh, Nakanishi's last match in Osaka Joe Hall. So it was Manabu Nakanishi, Hiroshi Tenzan, Satoshi Kojima, and Yuji Nagata defeating the team of Togi Makabe, Tomioka Hanma, Tohonare, and Risuke Taguchi. Yeah, I uh, especially liked the entrance when um, Tenzan, Kojima, and Nagata were all three standing there. And then Nakanishi came out as the, you know, the fourth man. And, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, nostalgia there, a lot of, you know... Um, Kind of just like this is a big moment because it's the last time Nakanishi is gonna be in a big building like this. Last time, you know, uh, competing in Osaka Joe Hall, and uh, yeah, it was definitely a moment for him. Yeah, you know, this was kind of your standard kind of New Japan dad matchup here. Also, all guys kind of fired up, especially Nakanishi being his last kind of big match here in Osaka Joe Hall. I thought all the New Japan dads looks pretty good here. Um, and Satoshi Kojima, my man, ended up getting the win here, hitting that strongest. On that big lariat on Hanma to get the win for the uh, New Japan dads here. Um, you know, last week we had predicted that you know possibly Tohanare was going to get a big victory here, uh, kind of put Nakanishi on his back on the way out, but they instead decided to give uh, Nakanishi's team the big win here. Was that our prediction? I know for sure I predicted um, Tohanare. Man, I don't remember my prediction. I guess I probably would have gone that way too. Um, but at the same time, I mean, like, I was glad to see the New Japan dads kind of get the win. Uh, I didn't think it, like, hurt Toa Hanare's progression or anything of that nature. Right. And he wasn't the one that got pinned. It was Hanma, so I, th- right. I still think Hanare's fine here. And then at the end, we got the tribute, uh, you know, all the other legends, you know, raising Nakanishi's hand. They all took, you know, their bow. They, they stepped out. Nakanishi did, did the uh, ceremonial bow to each, you know, side of the crowd, and then uh, you know, rode off into the distance. Yeah, kind of promo thanking the fans for the support for over the years. Uh, got real emotional. Um, some kind of a great little moment there. You know, feel good moment to open the show with Nakanishi's uh, last match in Osaka Joe Hall. That being said, I was still under three stars in this match. Uh, I, I was too. I believe I'm about two and a half on it. <laughs> but, it but it was fine. But it was fine. It was a seven minute opening match with New Japan dads um, Honma and Hanare and you know Taguchi. Uh, Makabe, so yep, a lot of history in that ring. Wasn't expecting a, a five star classic here, but uh, it was it was uh, you know solid for what it was. After that, we had the uh, highly anticipated IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Title match with the defending champions Sho and Yo defeating El Desperado and Yoshinabu Kanemaru at 16 minutes 25 seconds via pinfall. Yeah, and one thing that happened on those Road Two shows during all those preview matches, um, Suzuki Goon injured. Uh, show's knee so if you missed the road two shows you, you might have been kind of confused on why uh, show is kind of coming in here with um, a leg injury here so yeah as the knee was attacked heavily throughout the road two shows in the week and so uh, show is coming in here with a bullseye on that knee yeah I mean I would have uh, 
preferred that he came in with like a knee brace, maybe maybe a crutch. <laughs> they could have taped him up like he was Kenny after the attack from Jericho, just a bunch of just athletic tape or uh, <laughs> or just a bandage just wrapped around his knees. So, um, yeah, I actually, obviously, as I mentioned, I didn't watch the Road 2 show, so I wasn't privy to that aspect. But as the match was going on, the commentary team did a really good job kind of cluing people into what was happening. The other thing as well is um, as they attacked Show's knee, it reminded me a lot of the best Super Juniors match that uh, Kanemaru had with uh, Shingo, uh, where yeah. they attacked Shingo's knee the night before, uh, you know, wrapping his knee around the um, ring post and, you know, attacking him with the chair and giving him a knee lift onto the table. So I kind of assumed something similar happened here with Show and Yo, and I thought... Uh, like we mentioned, this team, these two teams are so familiar with each other. We've seen them wrestle so many times. And the one thing that they are capable of doing is telling different stories, having different kinds of matches. Uh, even though none of, you know, I don't think that they ever really have blow-away matches. They, they're always pretty good. Um, this, to me, wasn't the best match they've ever had, but they, took, they told a really good story. And um, I, I thought this match was pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't the best match they had, but based off probably the last maybe two or three, it kind of stands out uh, from the last few matches that they've had together, especially, you know, that Super Junior Tag League that around that See, time. I like the Tag League matches they had, especially the first uh, one. I think, though, the, they had like a match before the Tag League, I think. that was Well, maybe a, that was the one I liked. I can't remember. They had one right before Tag League, and then they had two during Tag League. Right. So they had three. Yeah, there was one of those that didn't quite hit, but I feel like this one... Um, you know, kind of fits in maybe a little bit above or maybe around the same range as some of those matches. But overall, it was a really good match. Uh, Show did a great job of uh, selling that knee and kind of getting sympathy on himself there. Then, you know, you had Yo kind of coming in and making the uh, the big hot tag here and fighting back. Um, we had Marty Onetti. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had a fail attempt of uh, Satori Surprise with that whiskey shot from Kanamaru. Um, and then we had uh, the Shock Arrow followed by the big uh, Strong X, which is, you know, the... Package power driver stomp move very similar to um, you know strong zero yeah strong zero also similar to um, Pentagon and Phoenix uh, finisher and uh, AEW there so yeah I, lo- I love the strong X finish and um, Rapunky three K here gets a big win this was you know they had a hard time defending the title in their four runs the only four four title runs only one successful tile defense up till now so now they're at two successful tile defenses right so that was kind of a big um, kind of thing <laughs> for them they're kind of a monkey on their back they had to shake off here it, it shouldn't have been but it is <laughs> yeah. um, then we had a very interesting post match we had uh, Rusuke Taguchi arrive there uh, talking with Rocky and you know saying he wants a tile shot he wants him and Rocky to team up he says Rocky you are not a manager you are a wrestler and that we should team up and challenge for the titles. And, of course, Rapunky 3K is like, no, 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 no. Uh, but eventually, yeah, Rocky agrees to team up with Taguchi, and they challenge Rapunky 3K. Well, you know, during that um, aforementioned uh, Junior Tag League, one of the teams that we thought really, you know, kind of broke out during that, that tournament was the Mega Coaches. And, um, you know, uh, I kind of thought they'd abandon the mega coaches to a certain degree. We hadn't seen them teaming or doing anything. And then um, we're, that was the one question we had was like, if Sho and Yo win, who's who's down the line? Because we're like, you know, there's there's not really that many junior tag team 
uh, challengers currently, you know, operating. They they haven't been heating anybody up really too much. I guess you could say they have with um, we kind of were anticipating maybe Bullet Club again, but it seems a little too soon to do that. Right. So once they did this thing, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that that definitely works. And um, Show and Yo kind of um. I, I was trying to capture or catch what they were saying in their promo. They were basically saying, like, you know, we haven't surpassed you yet, Rocky. And they kind of accepted the challenge, it seemed like. So um, I'm excited for this match. I, I I think they had a match during the – yeah, because that was a single block tournament, right? Right, yeah. That was one of the matches we thought was one of the best of the of the league. So we know that they have a lot of um, chemistry with, with one another, these two matchups, and it gives – you know, Rocky something to do. It gives uh, Taguchi something to do, and Sho and Yo have fresh, credible challengers. Right, as Gucci said, Taguchi Japan. They're targeting titles, so they're got their eyes set on that junior tag titles. Also, the never six man titles, and it's going to be very interesting to see what else they have planned for Taguchi Japan. I think that it's. We'll talk about it more, but um, there's a lot of people aiming for multiple titles and gold in New Japan right now. I know. It's not unheard of, and we've seen it a lot of it in the past, but it's like they've got like three or four storylines where people are trying to obtain multiple titles all at the same time. Right, and we have uh, Shingo now, who's the you know double never champion. Mm-hmm. And there's another challenge that's going to be placed later on in the show. Um, it, it just seems kind of, I don't know. I'm, I'm just wondering, like, do, you know, we've had people ask in the past, do they need to consolidate some of these belts because they have too many titles? And in the past, we, we've always kind of said maybe they could, but, you know, it works for them. But at this point, they've got so many different feuds involving multi-titleists throughout the top, you know, from the top to the bottom of the card. I'm, I am kind of wondering, like, do they need to consolidate? Why are there so, you know, how prestigious is it to hold both tag titles or both mid-card titles and vice versa, you know? Right. Uh, we had a question here from Reddit user Antonius MN. He says, "Is Taguchi and Romero teaming up for a junior title run? The shot in the arm that Junior Tag Division needs. As much as I love Rapunky 3K, I really think that they need to move both Show and Yo on a singles run and get some new teams in the mix." Um. Well, you bring up some good points. So I don't know if Taguchi and Romero is the shot in the arm that they need, but it's definitely like an aspirin. <laughs> <laughs> it gives them um. Gives them a little reprieve while they, uh, you know, hopefully, and I, I don't have any faith that they're going to try to quote unquote build the division because it's just not a focus of New Japan, honestly. But um, yeah, it gives them a reprieve while they can heat up another team down the line, like uh, ELP and uh, Ishimori or, or someone of that nature. But yeah, I would love to see them get new teams in the mix. That being said, um, I think Sho and Yo, like we've mentioned in the past, they've never really had a prolonged junior title run. Yes, they've been together for a little over two, almost three years now. Um, and they, they, they've they never had a defining uh, title run. So I think that it's befitting right now to kind of keep the titles on them, kind of build the division around them. And down the line, for sure, I think it would be a good idea. And it's something we've always seen in, you know, in the cards for them to move them into singles runs. I don't know... I wouldn't have said that they couldn't have done it by now because they definitely could have. But given where they're at at this moment, I don't think it's the right time to do it. Maybe in six months or further down. I think six months would be like the shortest time frame I could see personally. Right. You know, they've done a great job of kind of building up show and yo as the kind of 
dominant tag team in that junior tag team division. You know, as soon as they came back from excursion, winning that super junior tag league, winning the titles, clearly they want these guys to kind of go down in history as one of the best junior tag teams in New Japan history. And I think in order for them to do that, they kind of need that solid, you know, six month to a year long title reign with several defenses and kind of proving they are the top tag team before they, you know, fully split those guys. I think uh, they kind of remind me of uh, the team of No Limit. So I've got a new uh, name for each of these guys. Night Show <laughs> and uh, Yojiro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, so any final thoughts on the tag team match? Uh, you know, really good tag match. Um, you know, I was kind of dreading it going forward, but at the end of the day, they told a good story, had a good match, and... Yeah, I'm glad we're Punky 3K won. I'm glad they won. I would have been kind of upset if Desperado Kanemaru won again. Yeah, when, yeah, when Kanemaru kicked out of the shock era, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but it wasn't the full shock era. Right. It was it the was, weaker one. Right, right. Although I think that one looks pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about that during yeah. uh, Super Junior Tag League last year, that the uh, extended shock era looks better than the package shock era. Mm-hmm. So next up, we had Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi returning from his sickness, teaming up with Finjuice to defeat the Bullet Club team of Tamatonga, Tangaloa, Yujiro Takahashi, and Chase Owens. Yeah, and I was watching this, and I was like, this is literally, all, aside from you, you take Ibushi out and you move in um, Rocky, this is the elimination match we saw in Tampa. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I thought this was fine. Um, it didn't blow my world, you know, blow me away, uh, but it was fine. Uh, solid three-star affair. I think the biggest story here is kind of just the fact that, like, Finn Juice lost the titles to G.O.D. They're now the reigning champions, kind of returning to Japan. And Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi kind of getting on the same page once again and establishing themselves as potential uh, title challengers down the line. Yeah, Tanahashi, he rolled up Tangaloa here to get the win for the team. So Tanahashi and Ibushi, we saw uh, previously that they had looked like they were challenging Finn Juice for a future title match, and now with them losing the belts, they kind of want to challenge G.O.D., and we saw them kind of talking with Finjuice after the match, and it seemed like Finjuice was like, no, we're we're still next in line. We have a, a rematch. So it's going to be um, kind of very interesting. Actually, we, we have an announcement about the tag title match we'll talk about later. But, yeah, so we've got this interesting situation here of Tanahashi and Ibushi, two kind of megastars coming together here to challenge for the tag titles. Yeah, that's a positive move in the right direction. Um yeah, I'm I'm all for that. I'm I like that a lot. Yeah, so uh, you know, post match Bullet Club uh, attacked on Hashi, but Ibushi made a save, ran them off, um, which then led into some big announcements that we had here on the show. Um, so three kind of special news announcements that they had here. Uh, first off, was about uh, G1 Climax 30 starting in September in Osaka, and they announced uh, several dates for that. Then they also announced the Madison Square Garden return um, August 22nd for Wrestle Dynasty. We've been talking on this show for several uh, weeks now about the rumored MSG show, and this is it. The I rest- want to go. Yeah, I want to go, too. And um, we got some questions about Wrestle Dynasty I'm, we'll ask in a minute here. Uh, then the last news item here was the uh, World Pro Wrestling returning to the Japanese BSTV Asahi Friday night's primetime 8 p.m. starting in April. Yeah, uh, all three of these things are, you know, um, big announcements. Um, they, they all are very, very, very exciting and good news, good things to hear. But, you know, at the same time, we, we've been hearing for a while that the G1 was most likely moving to September. 
Um, shout out to Super J Casks. I think they're the first ones to kind of report the uh, uh, rumored announcement of an MSG show in August. Lots of people kind of calling them, you know, saying that they're bullshit on that. And turns out they're correct. So, you know, congrats, guys. But the one thing that no one was talking about, there was no word on the street about, we didn't hear anything about it, was this announcement of them moving back to a more favorable time slot with uh, BSTV Acai. And that's a huge, huge deal. Um, I mean, for anyone that's not aware, they've been slotted for years now at a 2 a.m. Um, time slot, you know, which that anytime people are like, well, you know, Western expansion, you know, business in New Zealand, business in Australia and, uh, you know, and in the UK and expansion and growth and everything, yada, yada. We're always like, well, they need to get their house in order when it comes to just their TV deal in, in Japan and, you know, get back in the public limelight, get back in, uh, you know, the consciousness of the culture, which they, you know, we've talked about it before. TV is a big deal when it comes to that. And, uh, Keep in mind, this is not TV acai like they used to be on back in the 80s and 90s. So it's not the action, it, you know, to put it in perspective, uh, it's not Fox. It's like FS1. Right. It's a sister it's station. It's like ESPN2. Yeah, it's like ESPN8, the Ocho. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's a huge deal. I mean, a huge deal. That's... That's so exciting. I, I'm very excited about I that. Think about this. New Japan has been on a roll, been very successful with that TV in that 2 um, a.m. Eastern or 2 a.m. time slot. Imagine what's going to happen with them being on prime time, 8 p.m. on a Friday. Like, it's going to be... It's going to be like AEW. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the visibility is going to increase. There's going to be more people, um, you know, just seeing New Japan on TV and kind of, you know, getting more aware of what's going on with the company. Oh, you know, uh, off subject, but uh, you realize that between NXT and AEW, there's more people watching uh, primetime television wrestling on Wednesdays than Monday or Friday. Uh, is there? Yep. I mean, AEW, NXT, they're doing like like 1.5 million together. I mean, Raw's still doing two over 2 million. SmackDown's doing over 2 million. That's what I heard on Observer. That's what they said. Maybe in the, the 18 to 49 demo, maybe. Maybe. I'll have to check my facts. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, shit. But it's, it's close. I mean, because yeah, we'll, I was um, like, these indie groups <laughs> kicking uh, main roster's ass. You know, the little t-shirt company uh, pulling <laughs> in numbers there. Uh, but we had a lot of questions here uh, considering uh, Russell Dynasty, the TV deal, um, and these uh, G1 dates. So first from... Y'all heard about Wrestle Kingdom. We got Wrestle Dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, first from Reddit user Brian James Interactive. Do you think New Japan can slash may attain a special one-time permission for Moxie or Jericho to appear at Wrestle Dynasty? This is taking into account that New Japan hasn't run a major show without Moxie, Omega, or Jericho appearing in a main spot for well over a year, if not two years, exception Dallas. And this is the one market where the need for these guys would be spotlighted. Hmm. I... I'm going to take your word for that because I don't, I I don't have a, any idea in my mind that kind of contradicts that. But at the same time, I do you feel like they maybe when he's talking about main show like major shows, I guess he's talking about like Wrestle Kingdom, Dominion. Yeah, because I was gonna say I was like I feel like there's got to be some Dantakus or some uh, <laughs> you know, some stuff like that that didn't have these guys, especially Kenny been gone for a year. But um, 
I, I don't think that they're going to get that special um, permission, to be honest with you. Anything's possible, of course. Right. You, you never say never in the wrestling business, especially, you know, 2020 in the wrestling business. But I have a very hard time seeing Tony Khan allowing Moxley and or Jericho to appear on this big show happening in the States. Yeah. I mean, the only way that I could see that happening realistically from a business perspective is if AW was partnered with them and co-promoting the show and had their guys on it or slash not trying to throw out a rumor because I don't think this is happening, but if they were jump-starting some sort of working talent, you know, trade or agreement, something like that. But I understand, and there will be people who kind of contradict this and say, like, well, there would be positives for them if they allowed them to. But ultimately, I think the the the, ne- the negatives outweigh the positives, you know, to allow a competitor to run a major show in your domestic market using your guys when they're – their contracts exclude them from being able to do this sort of thing. So I would say, no, the businessman Tony Khan is probably not going to let any, any three of those guys um, be on the show. Um, and with that being the case, I don't have any specific matches in mind, but I mean, if it's called wrestle dynasty and it's MSG, they're probably going to roll out everything they've got, you know, Right. For their guys. I mean, we saw from the G1 Supercard, the New Japan side of that show, we had a lot of big matches. They did not hold back for that show. So being a full card, New Japan produced, I think we're going to get um, a really big show here. Yep, I agree. So next question from Reddit user PSAN91. What do you think about New Japan returning to mainstream Japanese TV at a decent time slot, Friday at 8 p.m.? My girlfriend is Japanese, and she said this is a big deal for people like her dad, who used to watch it in the 80s and 90s, but once they moved to the 2 a.m. Saturday morning slot, he stopped following it. Although, he, although when talking to him, he still knew some of the bigger names, like he knew who Okada was. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge deal. You know, um, when people dis- discuss New Japan Pro Wrestling, they talk about the 80s and 90s the same way that wrestling fans in the States talk about the attitude era or, you know, the rock and wrestling connection, you know, when on our end, you know, not so much as often now, but you know, it used to be Hogan and macho man. And then, you know, later on it was stone cold, the rock triple H the undertaker. Those were like the big names for, you know, here in the States. And anytime you talk to a wrestling fan, like a lapsed wrestling fan, they're like, Oh, I used to watch when stone cold and the rock were on, you know, but Mm -hmm. um, that's you know, I, I'm not Japanese and I'm not over there, but the feeling that I get is that. And, you know, when people talk about Okada, he is a star over there. He is a big deal, but it's probably somewhat similar to like when people are talking about like John Cena or Randy Orton. Nowhere near the level of cultural consciousness concerning him as there was when, um, you know, when it comes to what's it called? Like when it comes to... uh. I'm sorry. There, there was a, a message that popped up and had my name and it. it. It totally distracted me. I'm like, <laughs> no, but like, yeah, when you when you consider like Cena or Orton, it's nowhere near the level of stars like Stone Cold and The Rock right, back yeah. in the day. And that's kind of how it is for Okada. Um, you know, wrestling in the 80s and 90s, there was a time when the names like Chono and Muto and Inoki and Hashimoto, I mean, huge, huge cultural stars, uh, from what I understand, even to this day, like Chono and Inoki are like two of the biggest, like, you know, culture, pop culture icons of their generations, even now. So, I mean, um, I, I, I think that this is a 
really, really good step in the in the right direction. I don't know if it's going to um, make these guys into as big of stars as those guys were. Uh, probably not, honestly, but it's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, great exposure. Just, you know, great move here for New Japan. Uh, next question here from Reddit user Just a Little Bear zero one. With the announcement by New Japan of Wrestle Dynasty at MSG in August, I need to ask the real important questions. You guys doing a get together? I'm so in for the show and can't wait to party down with some fellow New Japan fans. We hadn't discussed it, but I don't think that's off the table. Right? Yeah, if we're both going. I'm sure there's some other social suplex guys that are considering going as well. Um, yeah, definitely. As time gets closer, we'll get some details together and definitely maybe that same uh, Penny's Beer Garden that we had the uh, the MSG meet up in New York. It was right there attached to Magic Square Garden. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so we'll have some details. You we'll, know. we'll hit up the other, you know, the other New Japan groups that are out there, too. Unofficial NJPW USA group, you know, maybe some other podcasts, maybe some other... Uh, you know, writers, influencers. Yeah, I'm sure. Influencers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Super J Cast guys will probably be going. Um, our friends uh, from Voices of Wrestling, you know, Rich and Joe and those guys might be there as well. So uh, we'll probably try to, you know, work together and do some kind of big New Japan fan meetup. So it'd be cool. Uh, after that, we had a question from Viking Payne. He said, Wrestle Dynasty at MSG is going to be a huge show. Do you think that Jericho and Moxley have enough pool in AEW to strong arm them to get them to work the show? I found it interesting that Meltzer named Moxley, Jericho, and Omega as possible dark horse challengers for the IWGB title. When did he say that? Yeah, when I saw that question, I wasn't sure because I listened to Observer Radio today. I didn't hear anything about the show even being announced uh, on Observer. Right, unless... Yeah, because they recorded before, right? They recorded like after the UFC fight. So, and then I li- and that was bullcrap. John Jones <laughs> lost, and then um, I also listened to live both days, and there was no announcement of that. So I don't know if maybe that was something he tweeted. He, he might have put it in the Observer, just mentioning the rumors of the show and just saying, "Oh, that's possible." Yeah. So, yeah, and we kind of addressed this, but you know, I think that those are when he says dark horse i think dark horse always means like very small percentage outside chance um i would love to see it i would love to see any three of those guys well maybe not jericho but i would love to see moxley or omega challenge i mean Jer- jericho given the right guy i, I don't n- necessarily want to see him in okada again but um yeah obviously i would love to see that but i don't think it's happening yeah, like I said earlier, I think it's a very, very slim chance that Tony Khan's going to allow any three of these guys, even though they are, the, you know, the three top guys in AEW, I don't think he's going to want them to be wrestling on that um, big New York show here. The one thing, though, that I have to throw out is you need some sort of big matchup um, at the top of the card. We've we got a big matchup for the headliner in um, in uh, Dallas. For the G1, obviously, Tanahashi and Okada. And that was not enough to draw, you know, a sellout or even a a huge crowd. It was a decent crowd, but it wasn't a huge crowd. Now, given, you know, the truth is that's, um, you know, that was a show that was in a different market. The New York market is probably going to be a lot different, especially given the notoriety of it being in Madison Square Garden, the history of that. Um, So it might not be exactly the same thing, but... I do have to wonder. I mean, you know, they did a big show with 
two of their top stars at Dream Match on U.S. soil, and it did like a third of the building size, maybe less. And so I'm just wondering, I'm like, can they give us, do they have a big enough match that has enough, enough cachet to the American audience to draw, or will it just be New Japan as a brand, like like the whole card top to bottom, or do they actually need one of these three you know, um, U.S. guys, you know, big, you know, domestic stars over here to kind of fulfill that role. Yeah, I guess uh, time will tell. We'll see, you know, once they start putting tickets on sale, how those tickets start moving and, you know, kind of how the card comes together. Because I'm sure we're not going to get a card for a while. Cause, I mean, we still have, you know, uh, New Japan Cup. We have Secure Genesis. We have Dominion all kind of on the road to this show here. So, Well, you bring up a great point that feeds into the next question from Dom Homie 101 He said, thoughts on Wrestle Dynasty. What are some possible matchups we could see? And this is the part I was mentioning. How will it affect the Dominion card? You know, I, don't, I really don't think it's going to affect the Dominion card all that much because this is kind of taking place of the Royal Quest show that happened last year around the same time in August in the U.K., and we had, you know, a big IWGP title match with Okada and Suzuki. We had the, you know, the Never title match with Kenta and um, Ishii. So there's, it was a pretty big card for that um, for that Royal Quest show. So I don't think with, you know, WrestleDonacy being, what, two months after Dominion, I still think there'll be time to kind of put something together that won't necessarily hurt the Dominion card. Well, I, I agree with you to some degree, but at the same time with there being a lack of G1 in between these two shows, I think that they play directly into one another. It's unlikely that unless they do some hot shot title changes, it's unlikely that whatever happens as the outcome of Dominion won't play directly in to um, Wrestle Dynasty. And especially if they're trying to cater to the U.S. market in some way, that might dictate the booking decisions that they decide to go with on Dominion. I guess that logic can always be be in play, but with the importance of that of this show and you know them doing well financially on a show like this, I have to wonder whether or not it doesn't affect. I don't think it will change what gets booked for Dominion as far as like going into it, but the outcomes I think are going to be strongly dictated by what they're trying to do with this Wrestle Dynasty, Dynasty show for sure. Yeah, so uh, kind of back to his first part of the question: What are some possible matchups we could see? Um, I, for me, I can only really consider the top tier matches. You know what I mean? Right. There's definitely got to be an IWGP title match. Right. Cause I mean, we could, we can create a dream card and be like the junior title is going to be this or the never title will be this and yada, yada. And I mean, that's fine because there's so many great performers in new Japan. I mean, we, you can create an incredible card top to bottom, but I mean, the one that really matters is there's got to be an IWGP title match and you got to wonder come dominion time who are your guys and there's no um there's no G1 climax to kind of get us there so how do we how do we get to the challenger taking on the champion in august you know right yeah i'm guessing there'll probably be a contenders match on dominion and that winner will face the winner of the title match at dominion there's also that um, Hokkaido tour that was happening in July right. in between Dominion and Arsenal Dynasty that could potentially set up a contender there. If you wanted my honest opinion, if I was New Japan and I was booking this show and I didn't have access to Mox, Jericho, or Kenny Omega, I'd do Naito and Okada rematch 
at Wrestle Dynasty in Madison Square Garden. Obviously, the connection to Okada with him having already won the title there the, the previous time. Naito defeating him for the title. It'll be six months removed from, or actually eight months at that point, right? Yeah, eight. Eight Eight months removed from their their first initial match. I think that that is probably the biggest matchup that they can do in the States for the fan base. I don't see anything that they could do that would draw bigger unless maybe they did something with um, potentially like Osprey. Yeah, I think, first of all, Okada definitely has to be in that main event, whether he's coming in as champion or challenger. Um, and, you know, uh, they didn't mention on commentary that Okada wants to kind of continue the legacy of defending that title or being in the title match in MSG since he, you know, defeated Jay White in the first show and won the title that night. So I definitely think Okada needs to be there. Uh, I think Okada versus Will Ospreay for the title is a big match, but I'm not sure if... Uh, Will Ospreay is going to be elevated to that level in time for that show. So I definitely think your uh, theory of Okada Naito is a great one. It'll be a great match to kind of do in the States. You know, last year we got that Okada Tanahashi first time match in the States. So I think an Okada Naito first time match in the States would be a huge draw for diehard New Japan fans. So I'm doing a, a quick. Uh, Google. We've never done a Google Trends on the show. I'm doing a Google Trends <laughs> search right now. So I mean, let's let's take a look at some of the biggest stars. Um, I've got Okada. I've got Naito. Um, Will Osprey would be another guy that I think would probably be pretty popular here in the states. Tanahashi. Oh, yep. Let me throw him in there. I mean, you could potentially do another Okada Tanahashi match. I think if you built the right card around it, you could do that. But I don't know how well that actually does um, in this uh, market. Um, I'm going to throw in Kota Ibushi. Is there anyone else that you could see hypothetically, um, you know, kind of fulfill it, like, as a top guy that might headline? Uh, I think those are the main guys right there. Okay. So very interesting. Um, Of all of those guys, the the least searched um, person is Tetsuya Naito. And that's in the U.S.? In the U.S. I'm looking at over the past 12 months in the U.S. It definitely spiked around Wrestle Kingdom time, but um, the other guys that are here are definitely more popular. Um, Will Ospreay is probably, like, tied for number two. Um, Around June of last year, he spiked... Super, super high. I guess it's when that's the Super Junior Finals. I'm thinking it maybe it was the feud with uh, Seth Rollins. When did that happen? I don't know, but I mean, there was a lot of buzz with that um, Osprey Shingo match. I mean, these Google trends are off the charts. Like he never trends like this. And then around June of last year, June July, it's off the charts. Like I mean, it blows everything else away. But then he quickly kind of goes back into that number two role. for the majority of the time, Okada is the leader, um, I would say, historically of, of all these guys. Although there are times where Osprey has kind of gone above him um, for short periods. Um, Hiroshi Tanahashi is like, of these five guys, he's like second to bottom. He's mm. just barely above Naito. But um, Kota Ibushi is pretty high. 
pretty high, honestly. Yeah, so that's another match I was thinking about. Abushi versus Naito is a match they could do. Is there anyone else on the on the roster that you think is like a top guy? I guess I, I guess I could throw in Jay White, but I don't even think he would do that well. No, I mean he obviously he could be in the match, but he's going to be in there with one of those guys that we're looking up right now. Right. Um, and then I guess like the other person I was thinking of was like Suzuki, but I would venture to guess that in the general population he's probably not not as high. You're right. So I mean. If I was just going off these Google trends, and I don't know if this is the full, you know, the full, you know, what you would want to base your decisions off of, but I mean, like, you might do Okada Osprey or Okada Ibushi. Uh, if Naito's still champion, then maybe you do him against one of those challengers. But, um, yeah, Okada's definitely still the top guy in New Japan, even in the States. Right. So, yeah, Okada definitely has to be in that main event, whether he's the champion or a challenger. So, yeah, I could see him winning. I could see them doing Tanahashi Naito at Dominion, having Naito beat Tanahashi, then you have Okada beat somebody else, and then Okada comes out and challenges Naito. I don't disagree. The only thing with that is they're teasing um, Tanahashi and Naito for the near future, and that seems like a far way off to kind of hold off for that match. Then again, you still have the New Japan Cup coming up, we already know what's going on with him for anniversary show. So the next logical place would, if you don't do it at Dominion is like Dantaku. So, well, there's also a uh, secure Genesis and secure Genesis. Yeah. So, Oh yeah. So I guess secure Genesis, the next big show that would, that would be a, in that market, a really big, that's probably what they're going to do. I don't think they hold off to Dominion personally. So you're thinking Tanahashi's winning a new Japan cup. Oh, <sighs> Oh, or, or the winner challenges for a different title. It depends. Yeah, I was gonna say it depends on what they end up doing for those for the uh, for the rules when it comes to New Japan Cup this year, especially given the double title situation. Um, Tanahashi could win it. It's possible. He's he's placed pretty high the past few years, and I mean that's that's a way they could go. Um, I I hadn't considered that necessarily, but um, or he could challenge a Dantaku. Yeah. Or Dominion. Yeah. So. Yeah, plenty of opportunities there. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of where that match falls in place. Uh, next question here from uh, Sir Sam. He says, also given how small the shows in their most recent tour were, what do you think it will take to fill up MSG in August? Great question. Now, keep in mind, they were running smaller uh, arenas with a very limited split uh, tour with, Guys that aren't even necessarily like contracted to New Japan for them, uh, you know, about half those guys. So they definitely uh, underperformed. We they ha- we, the attendance numbers came out. Did we announce those last week? Uh, we did not. Okay, but I mean, they were they definitely underperformed. I was surprised to see that like Tampa was the highest attended show. Yeah, it was <laughs> of the tour. Um, I, I, keeping a strong style, <laughs> but um. You know, if they had had more stars, there's no way that show that that tour wouldn't have done as well, uh, or would have done the numbers that they did. They would have done definitely better. Also, if some of those ticket prices had been maybe slightly less, they might have done better. You know, so it's hard to say. But um, they need they need. I mean, to to do well in, at this show, the fact that they're in New York is a big deal. The fact that to MSG is a big deal. They've already proven that they can do well in markets like Boston and New York and in, you know, Jersey and 
the surrounding area. So, I mean, they're in the Northeast, so they've got a lot going for them there. It's in New York on a, uh, you know, so that's a big deal. The other thing, too, is, like, if they really want to fill the show up, they need to give us a top Dominion slash Wrestle Kingdom level main event, and then they need to have a banger of a card. If they, I mean, if they bring all their stars and they have, like, an incredible match lineup, they'll, I don't want to say they'll sell out because I don't know that, but I can see that being a very real possibility, even despite the um, the bad attendance records with their most recent tour. It's not at all the same thing. You know, it's a different market. It's a different type of show. Um, but they need to announce the actual match card far in advance, which they might not do. Do you know what I mean? Right. Or at least say like, there will be an IWGP title match. There will be an IC match. There will be a never match. I don't I don't think we're going to get announcements until after Dominion. Right. So that only gives them like two months basically to... Or at least start announcing talent. If they if they start announcing talent now, that would be the first right step. Uh, after Dominion is over, they'll probably be free to announce the actual card unless they decide to do other tours in between where they tie up their top people and top titles, which would probably be a mistake for this right, show. That, uh, that Hokkaido tour that's going to be in between there. Now, it might not, to them, it might not be because they're still catering to their domestic audience, so maybe maybe they see it differently, but they're not going to sell the show out if they don't have... And that was one of the big missteps of the G1 in Dallas. They didn't do that. So they, they definitely need that. They need to announce it very far in advance. They need to give us a, a banger of a card, and I think if they do that and they market it properly, properly they'll do well. Yeah. Uh, and last question on this topic here from a Twitter follower, A-Man. He says, just spitballing, but in the MSG show, you think there could be some invasion or something with AEW, and I think Moxley can't work that show, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think he can work the show, and, um, you know, like we said before, never say never. So it's, is it possible something happens to the AEW? Sure. But I think it's very uh, unlikely. Yeah, we are we are more than likely to see some Ring of Honor Ring of Honor involvement than we are AEW. Ooh, get Nick Aldis on the show, title versus title, Naito versus Nick Aldis. <laughs> I'm not sure how good that match would be. <laughs> After that, we had a. Uh, we'll move on. So we had tag team action. Um, Kazushiko Okada and Will Ospreay uh, took on the team of Taichi and Zack Saber Jr. Yeah, so kind of continuing the rivalry here between Okada and Taichi, Sabre and Osprey. Like we mentioned at the top of the show, we are getting that rematch uh, Rev Pro high stakes with Osprey and Sabre, so kind of building momentum there. And then kind of interesting that they decided to kind of continue the Okada Taichi kind of feud here. And Taichi did eliminate Okada during that um, the eight man elimination tag match that happened on that Road 2 show. Well, you know, uh, we could see them uh, wrestle again down the road for sure. Um, that's that is an mo of New Japan. They might not be doing an immediate rematch or anything of that nature, but you know we still got a G1 coming up for later in the year. We still have a New Japan Cup. Um, those are two places I could easily see them wrestling one another again. Yeah, I think I mentioned last week. Yeah, I think we could see an upset of Taichi knocking out Okada in the New Japan Cup, or we could see a, a G1 match where Taichi gets a win over Okada there in the situations where Okada can afford to take a loss. Either that, or we could just see Okada just whoop his ass every time all year. That too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I thought this match was fine, uh, pretty good. Um, I, I don't know. I went like 
three and a quarter, three and a half on it, something I, like that. I was in the three and a half range. It was, you know, nice little 11 minute match here, some good back and forth action. We had the. I love Dangerous Techers. Oh, yeah. Dangerous Techers, um, a great team. Uh, I wish we would get some more of them in action, even in that, that tag title picture there throughout the year. I would love to see Okada and Will Ospreay tag together more regularly. Maybe we can get uh, Tanahashi and Ibushi against Okada and Will Ospreay. That would be awesome. Maybe since we don't have a secondary IC belt right now, we can uh, kind of elevate that tag title to like being the secondary title. Right. Get main event level, pull in all Japan. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, great match here. Um, Osprey hits the Oz cutter on Taichi, and Okada follows up with the Rainmaker. One, two, three, pins Taichi again. Okada and Osprey get the win. Osprey has some momentum. Heading into the Rev Pro title match rematch coming up this Friday at Rev Pro High Stakes. Awesome. And then after that, we had the first special singles match of the night. Uh, the top uh, four matches, all singles matches, as Jay White took on Sonata. So, yeah, interesting matchup here with Sonata and Jay White. We kind of mentioned in the buildup to these matches that we've seen, you know, not really, we weren't really hyped up of what we saw with the interactions between Jay and Sonata. And overall, I mean, I thought this match it was fine. Um, it wasn't anything blow away. It wasn't bad. Um, you know, we had a lot of kind of bullet club shenanigans with uh, Gato, a lot of the kind of Jay White cheating. Um, Sonata seemed to kind of lack some fire here. Um, yeah, I didn't like this match. Uh, I went three and a quarter on it, just barely above a gentleman's three. At 20, almost 22 minutes, that's not good. Right. I went about three and a half, but, yeah, if you have a 20-plus uh, a minute that's in the three and a quarter, three and a half range, essentially that's not really that good. It's not even just that. It's like this match would have been fine on Monday Night Raw. Okay? Uh, let me just put it that way. When you have two guys that are supposed to be stars like Jay White and Sonata, two guys that you elevated – over the past few years, putting them in major programs with like Okada, the you know last year, and kind of situated them as being like the future guys of New Japan, um, and then they finally have you know a major singles match like this, and it's a crossroads match, supposed to be very important uh, because they're both coming off of major losses at Wrestle Kingdom. You kind of expect them to show a sense of urgency and fire, and we didn't see that at all leading up and. Up to this match, all those tag team matches, we we were kind of like seeing a lot of like lackluster performances. There wasn't anything to really sink your teeth into when it came to this feud or rivalry. Uh, the most heated thing that happened between them was the night after Wrestle Kingdom at um, New Year's Dash, and since then it's kind of been nothing. And both of these guys have their detractors, especially here in the states, when it, especially when it comes to the hardcore wrestling intelligentsia, if you will, you know, your, your diehards. There are people that don't like Jay White, you know, for various reasons, whether it be his, you know, slow plotting wrestling and, you know, lack of charisma. And Sonata gets a lot of the same sort of uh, criticism. And we've seen both of these guys make huge strides when it comes to their popularity, their character development, their match quality over the past few years. And so, yes, the feud between them wasn't so heated, but at the same time, I had faith in them thinking like, okay, we've seen these guys deliver time and time again. 
hopefully they don't play into their worst attributes and they, you know, kind of surprise us and pull off, uh, you know, a memorable match. It didn't even have to be like, you know, an all-time classic, but this bored me. I couldn't stop putting my phone down. It was hard for me to pay attention to it. I think they both played into their worst tendencies as wrestlers. And sure, they told a story, but like ultimately, I was just bored when it came to this match. And that's not a good thing. And I think another thing that was missing from this match is just like stakes. Like, all right, Jay White beats Nottas. Okay, what does he get out of this win? Like, what what were these guys like really fighting over? Yes, uh, you know, Jay attacked Sonata after New Year's Dash, but that was about it. Like you mentioned, there wasn't really much heat or much build up to this match. And all right, Jay beats Sonata. What's he really get out of this? Where is he kind of going from here? I guess we'll find out down the line. But from here, it's just kind of a, a match. Like, yeah, I agree. I know it's hard. To be constantly doing that, especially if you're in a role where a title's not on the line. But that's your job. That's your job as a professional wrestler. When you have a match that doesn't necessarily quote-unquote matter, you find a way to make it matter. Um, someone who's very good at this is like Chris Jericho. You know, He's had multiple, and sh- sure, he has the benefit of weekly episodic television behind him. So it's not exactly the same thing. But you know, when he's wrestling guys like... Jungle Boy or Scorpio Sky or Darby Allen, they're doing things to make those matches matter, even if we know Jericho's not going to lose. You know what I mean? Right. They didn't do that here. And it's like, dude, that's your job as an entertainer and a professional wrestler. They give these guys a lot of creative freedom and leeway and, and you know, autonomy to kind of do that. And they really didn't do that. And they didn't deliver in the match. And I'm sure there's some people that love Jay White who will disagree with me. There's probably some LIJ fans who like Sonata who will disagree with me. But from my perspective, just being honest, I really thought this match wasn't good. Not, And I'm not saying not good in the sense that they wrestled bad. They wrestled fine. Right. All the maneuvers were executed well. well there was a, there was a couple, couple, couple of botches. But, I mean, for the most part, I mean, we've seen way worse as far as in-ring. Now, if I was being honest, I agree with you. I actually thought Sonata was the guy with less fire. I found Jay White to be a bit more entertaining, but that's because he was on the offense most of the match, and he was doing his heel shtick, which I do enjoy, and he did a lot of stuff on the outside. But, I mean, there's still a lot that Jay White did that I didn't like. There was a lot of stalling. There was, And I'm fine with stalling if it, if it adds to the match. It didn't add to the match here. And, and a lot of Gato. It's like a at, lot of Gato. At what point do the referees just like not allow Gato to be at ringside from the beginning of the match? Yep. It's like you, you know this guy is going to interfere over and over again. Don't even let him out there. And just I get it. He's a heel manager. I, I get the I get the shtick. Get the gimmick. But at some point, like I don't know. You have to kind of minimalize that. It's like okay, I get it. Jay White and Sonata weren't in the main event, so. Maybe you don't put in a main event performance, but it's like, how do you expect us to take you seriously as main event performers when if you're at the fourth from the top, you're not delivering? You know, um, Tanahashi doesn't do this. I know I'm a Tanahashi supporter, but like when he's wrestling Will Ospreay or Jay White or someone of that nature and he's third or fourth from the top, maybe we don't get that all-time performance from him but we get a great performance when Will Ospreay is fourth from the top in a, in a junior match. We don't get this sort of, you know, fucking off sort of thing. And that's what we got from, from white and Sonata. I felt like this was, I was in a time machine. I was watching Sonata and Jay white from 2017. Mm. Yeah. That's the perfect way to kind of sum it up there. And I didn't like that. 
So, yeah. So, you know, we mentioned last week these matches, they had to deliver. They were either going to hit or miss, and this was definitely a miss here for these guys. And one last thing, you know, when you do a long show like this, a big show, and you stack the show, quote, unquote, and you give us these in enticing matchups, and you're like, oh, man, this looks so great. Look how many awesome singles matches we're getting. And then the singles matches don't deliver even to the working standard in New Japan. Then it's like, I could have done without this match. I, I would have much rather watched a three-hour show without this match even occurring. Right. Well, now it's time to move on to something that did hit. We had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match. The champion, Hiromu Takahashi, successfully defending his title against Ryu Lee. And this match was freaking incredible. This, yeah, this match, it, it, this match blew me away. Um, I was scared, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, we had a question from Dom Homie Oh, yeah. Uh, before, he said, is it me or does Jay White have better matches when he's on the losing end? And I will say... Maybe that's just you because you don't like Jay White. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't know that about Dom Homie 101. I, I, I can't say, but. Yeah, because I feel like Jay being the heel is usually more dominant in the majority of the matches. I think I, I don't. I, can't, I, w- I wouldn't agree with this because I've seen him have great matches against Okada and, you know, Shingo and. Abushi, well, maybe not Abushi, but I've seen him have really good matches. Uh, well, the G one fight, the G, the Bushi G one match, he lost that match. Oh, it's, oh, it's like a saying winning. Yeah, we just saying Tanahashi. Yeah. Um, I've seen him have really good matches when he is winning, but yes, he's correct. Like the Juice match, the Okada match from MSG, the Abushi match. Yeah, he has really good matches when he loses too. But I, I don't know. Maybe he does have more great matches that he's lost, but he's had some pretty good matches when he wins also. Yeah, and that kind of reminded me too. One thing I definitely did not kind of like about the ending of the mat, that match too is just I felt the finish was really flat. Like, Jay just hit the the bloody Sunday, then like the Blade Runner, and that was it. Was I, like, well, I'll say that. Okay, I, I'm sorry. The last three to four, maybe five minutes, I thought were pretty good. Maybe it was like three minutes. the 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 finishing sequence was great, which they always are in, in New Japan. But at the same time, it was like everything before that. And I hate to be that guy to be like, everything they did before it didn't mean anything. I'm not saying that, but, like, I didn't find it entertaining. Yeah. And I thought the finish was pretty good. I agree with you, though. I thought that when he hit him with the uh, Blade Runner, I was like, oh, okay, it's over. But yeah. it was fun. Uh, to, to me, the thing I love about the Blade Runner is the reversals into it and it coming out of nowhere. Like, I wish they would have done, like, the skull in into the Blade Runner or the TKO into the Blade Runner. Some kind well, of- that is what they did. He kept he kept going for the skull end, and then it got reversed into a Blade Runner. Well, no, he hit the Bloody Sunday, and then he did the Blade Runner. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay, because the way I remember it was he was he was going for that thing where he basically does like a sliced bread into the um, you know, into the skull end maneuver, right. mm-hmm. and he got caught. Well, Jay hit, he hit him with the uh, the Regal Plex first. Okay. After after that slice bread, and then he hit him with the the bloody Sunday, and then the Blade Runner, and that was it. And that's kind of his f- finishing sequence. We actually saw that quite a bit during the G one, so I'm not opposed to that. But I I agree with you. I think it's more exciting when he catches somebody. But um, you know, who knows? Maybe they want to make him uh, look strong here, and that's why they did this. And like we said, we thought Jay White was going to go over, and we think that they can rebuild Sonata when New Japan Cup comes around. So he's fine, but 
Yeah, and, and clearly they're telling a story here of Sonata kind of being like one of the failing members of LIJ, only one without a belt. He's been losing uh, big matches. He hasn't won a singles match in like six months. So they're definitely telling a story here with Sonata. Okay, great. But let's move on to uh, this banger. So yeah, Hiromu and Ryu Lee. Yeah, man, dude. Just from the opening bell, the, that opening spot, just trading Germans. Um, and then just a huge, um, the chop spots, literally, for minutes. It was like five minutes straight. Yes, just back and forth, overhand chops. Well, on that note, Brian James Interactive asked us, he said, who wore it better, Lee Takahashi or Kobashi Sasaki? Have you seen that match? I have not. Oh, man, you got <laughs> you got to see that match. So, Kenta Kobashi versus uh, Kensuke Sasaki's like, one of the most famous Noah matches in history. And it's actually, I, I want to say it's on one of the, like, navigation tours. I think it was in the Tokyo Dome. I could be wrong on that. might have been Sumo Hall. Or not Sumo Hall. Um, the Budokan. It's one or the other. But um, that match is legendary in that, like, Kobashi and Sasuke, like, just... They they chopped each other even longer and harder than Lee and Takahashi did, mm. and I think that um, Kobashi lands over a hundred uh, chops and strikes on him in in this like ten minute sequence. It's freaking nuts. Um, I I gotta say, between the two, the Kobashi Sasuke um, interaction is more legendary, but at the same time. When you keep striking somebody over and over and over and over and over again, it can sometimes devolve into parody. And when I rewatch Kobashi and Sasuke, sometimes I have that feeling, even though I'm like so into it. Mm -hmm. Like if I was to show this to an outsider, they'd just be like, "Why are they? Why are they just going forever?" <laughs> um, but Lee and Takahashi did like a mini version of that. This is like the junior equivalent to Kobashi Sasuke, and it was awesome, man. It's like they started the match and they just. Did their legendary, like, quick sequences, you know, suplexes, suplexes, and just the, the and then they end up in a uh, standoff, and then they just start trading chops, yeah, overhand chops. Yeah, that whole kind of first part of the match was kind of built around the chop, them, like, running into the chop, um, the clothesline, and then going into the chop, and just kind of that whole back-and-forth chop battle here. Then we saw that insane, uh, the suicide dive uh, barricade spot that Dragon Lee did to Osprey. That was terrifying. Oh, yeah, dude, I, I cringed. I cringed, too. There was a lot of things they did in this match that I was very nervous about. Hiromu doing that, um, I don't know what he calls it, but the senton uh, yeah, off the, the top rope to the outside. Top. Yeah. Um, to a standing opponent. That's something we he didn't do in the Osprey match, and I was sort of one, thinking he was going to retire that uh, from his repertoire, but he did it here. Nah. <laughs> um. He he did the uh, I don't what do you call it when you put a guy over your shoulders and you run run them into oh, the ropes? Death Valley Driver into the corner. Okay, I was gonna call that, but I don't know if that's the proper term. Yeah, he did like three Death Valley Drivers to really into the uh, corner during this match. And there was one where he like really dropped, dropped on, his, on head. his head. Yeah, yep. um, yeah, we saw plenty of uh, Canadian destroyers. Uh, yeah, just all the insane moves we saw. Uh, really, that his uh, over the top Hurricane Rana spot that he always does. Yep. Oh, that was kind of scary the way Hir uh, Hiromu kind of took the bump there. He, he set up Hiromu for a double foot stomp to the outside oh, of the ring yeah. onto the apron. Oh, my gosh. That was scary. Uh, Dude, the, when Hiromu uh, went for the suplex and then the over the belly to belly, he was supposed to land on the apron, but he landed on the floor. Yeah. Oh, God. my gosh, dude. That that was nuts. Yeah, this this match just freaking ruled. Um, in the past, I've talked – I love the, the Hiromu-Dragon Lee uh, – Rivalry and feud. In fact, at some point, I'm like wondering, like, should we not 
maybe we should do like a series where we just review every match in there uh, because every match they've ever done has made tape and it's it's all out there and it's a lot. This is actually one of the longest matches they've ever had. Um, you know, a lot of their early stuff is like eight minutes, ten minutes, twelve minutes. Pretty easy to actually get through it, but. Um, this this was in my opinion one of the best matches they've ever had. I've critic I love their series like I said but I've criticized them for sometimes missing something like they they do so much outlandish things mm-hmm. but sometimes there's a narrative or a next gear that's sort of missing from their matches like like the uh the logic or the storytelling but here they told an incredible story with Hiromu obviously having his neck broken in their previous encounter um, you know, over over 500, almost 600 days ago when Rhea Lee hit him with the Phoenix Plex. Every time Rhea Lee put him up for the Phoenix Plex. Dude, big gas from the crowd. That was a great spot teasing bro, that Phoenix Plex. Big gas from the young boy. I was like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. That was just, yeah, a lot of just insane stuff here. Just, just the narrative of them, like, they, they come into this match they do their opening sequence stuff, trying to you know outspeed each other, get the better of one another. Then they decide to they're like you know what, screw this, let's go toe to toe, and they just chopped each other forever. And then eventually it just evolved into a like anything you can do, I can do better. And they just start dropping each other on their domes and doing <laughs> right. crazy dives. Um, it reminded me a lot of the pacing of their matches in Mexico. A lot of um, the, the 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 way that this match played out reminds me of some of my favorite and most classic mask versus mask matches um you know from CMLL over the past couple decades where you know it's just bombs these guys it was like a, even though it was a junior match it was like a heavyweight fight these guys were just trying everything to put one another away and um every time Rio Lee like teased that uh Phoenix Plex it just you know it just took things to another level but Ultimately, Hiromu was able to put this guy away with uh, t- a dynamite plunger and two uh, freaking um, time, bomb. time bombs. Yeah, we did not, he did not bust out the time bomb two that he, he beat Osprey with at Wrestle Kingdom. He just went for uh, two time bombs here to get the win. He also did um, he hit that uh, his sunset flip power bomb spot also to the outside. Yeah, yeah. They they did a lot of really 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 crazy stuff. This is definitely a junior match of the year contender. Oh yeah, hands down. I it went. Might, uh, it might even be a fight of the year contender when everything's said and done yeah i went uh 475 on this um i'm, I'm right there with you yeah incredible incredible match um i i love this so yeah shout out to hiromu and ryu lee here for killing it after that we had uh the much anticipated iwgp u.s heavyweight title match as the champion john moxley defended against minoru suzuki and this was the semi-main event of the night I love this match also. You know, we mentioned during the kind of buildups here on Sapporo just how great of chemistry Moxley and Suzuki had. You know, there's a lot of respect there. So the match that both guys wanted to do. And I just love this thing here. Um, you know, the match started off. Moxley uh, wanted Suzuki to meet him down the rampway. Suzuki went and grabbed two chairs. They had like a, a chair dueling battle on the ramp. Balls uh, Mahoney and Masato Tanaka style. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then from there, it was just a wild and crazy brawl all throughout the crowd on the outside until they eventually kind of got back into the ring. And then just throughout the match, they were in and out. We got chairs, we got tables, strikes, biting, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you talk about the referees uh, kind of being lax when it came to Jay White and Sonata. I mean, 
uh, I believe Red Shoes officiated this match. Yeah. He let a lot of stuff go. I mean, they were on the outside forever. And you know what? Also in the Hero Moon Dragon Lee, they were on the outside for a long time. I was just like, man, they're not really doing too many, like, count out, like, uh, close calls or anything. He really gave these guys a lot of leeway in these matches. But um, we talked about it. Moxley and Suzuki had some of the best interactions from the two uh, – New Beginning and Sapporo Knights uh, for their preview matches. They had a certain energy that Okada, Osprey, and Naito and Kenta were lacking. And it paid off in, in droves. This match just really, really, it was awesome. Um, all the strike exchanges between Moxley and Suzuki. I also really liked the um, the interview that Minoru Suzuki did leading into this match. Yeah. And he was talking about like John Moxley, and he's like, "Is he a great grappler? No. <laughs> he's like, "Is he a great, you know, um, you know, striker? Striker? No. <laughs> what what can he really do? Nothing. But that's what's made him. <laughs> <laughs> he's unpredictable. He's a crazy man. Oh man, and yeah, dude, just the, the facial reactions and just reactions from Suzuki were just dude, great. They were they were like two sadists in there, just enjoying the punishment. Every yeah. time they got dude, hurt, they were what, smiling. Yeah, there was one spot where Moxley powerbombs Suzuki through the table to reverse the, the triangle, and Suzuki's like laying there, just laughing and smiling in the middle of the table rubble. And I was like, dude, this guy is nuts. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know that was one thing. And again, I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back. I talked about this in the preview. I said, when it comes to their two styles, they both have an overlap of skill sets that complement one another. But when it comes to the brawling, the weapons use, and, you know, the crazy, you know, outside brawling sort of style, Mox has the advantage. When it comes to the grappling, the shoot style, the, the hard strikes, um, Suzuki has the advantage and that was a story that continued to play out all throughout the match even when they're on the outside and Mox was like you know trying to attack Suzuki there's one point where Suzuki tripped him and put him in an armbar and I was like oh that's freaking awesome um, but like this match really there were some parts where I thought it dragged a little bit but it's only be, the only reason I think that is because I feel like it's really hard for them to have an 18 minute match that keeps the level of work that they that they started with going mm -hmm. the whole time. So there were some moments where I was like things slowed down a bit, but every time it slowed down it picked right back up. They they kept a tremendous pace and this was very very violent. Um Mox still can't trade strikes the way that the Japanese wrestlers can, you know. He's not Ishii or Shingo right. or Suzuki, but him working his US style and just Throwing the punches and throwing the elbows, and I also he was throwing um, close fist strikes, and then Suzuki threw a close fist strike. Right, and I yeah. was like, I love this. <laughs> but yeah, Suzuki was killing them those forearms, and you know, you know, come on, boy, come on, boy. You know, he's like, come on, John. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the backstage promos, he was calling him Johnny Boy. Uh, so just call you know call him that, and just just yeah, killing him with the strikes. There was the one spot where they both grab like the piece of the table, and they're like bashing their heads in the table. Suzuki got cut a little bit there, got a little bit of color. They both did. Yeah, that's one of my favorite. Yeah, I love that. Like they both start bashing themselves in the heads, and I'm like, these guys are sadistic. <laughs> like they're just they're they're made for each other. They're just two wild and crazy dudes. Like it, it's not exactly the same, but it, it reminded me of like Abdullah and Brody. It reminded me of like. The Sheik and Abdullah, like, you know, stuff like that. Like, it was really, really great. Um, highly entertained 
entertaining match. I went four and a half on it. Yeah, I went four and a half as well. I love this. Um, as of right now, I think it, it can fit in as a strong style uh, fight of the year candidate. And yeah, John Moxley got the win here with the Death Rider over Suzuki. And so John Moxley is still your U.S. champion. Now, one criticism, and my criticism is not as big in this match as it was in the previous match, but or in the uh, Jay White Sonata match, but we saw an instance in both matches. One where Sonata had uh, Jay White in the skull end, had him locked in in the center of the ring. Jay White's not getting out, and then he lets go and he goes for the moonsault, misses, and ends up losing the match. Something similar here. Minoru Suzuki put him in the um, sleeper, and he held on to it till he almost had him passed out, and instead of going for the gotch like he normally does, he went Pin, for the pinfall. Yeah, I mean, that, was, that was a weird decision because he doesn't usually do that. Yeah, this is one of my biggest pet peeves. You know, there's a thread going right now in the Wrestling Squared Circle on our, our Facebook group uh, started by, you know, Clive from the Ricky and Clive Show asking people what were their kind of pet peeves, things that annoy them in wrestling. That's mine. When somebody has a submission hold in the middle of the ring, instead of going, you know, it makes them look dumb. Like, you could get a ref stoppage. They could pass out. They could submit. You're going to let it go. You're going to go for your, your mood of moonsault. You're going to, you know, go for something. You're just going to go for a pin. It's like, just. Now, with, with, with the Suzuki thing, I could see, and I'm kind of stretching my, you know, suspension of disbelief here a little bit. Or suspension of belief. I don't know. What, or, yeah, disbelief. Suspension of disbelief, yeah. But, um. Maybe he wanted to win by pinfall. Maybe that was the thing. Like mm-hmm. maybe he's like I. Maybe he's like I already know that I'm better than this guy when it comes to you know he's one of the greatest catch wrestlers of all time. So I know I could choke him unconscious. I want to pin him. It's a it's a contention of pride. I could kind of buy into that. What I don't like about it is he didn't go for the gotch. And again, if I'm making an apologist for or, or an apology for him, I could say maybe. He already beat him with the gotch, and he was too full of himself, and he's like, I got this guy. I'm going to pin him. So it wasn't as egregious. With the Sonata thing, Sonata had him beat completely out, and then he's like, I'm going to go for the moonsault. That's <laughs> stupid. <laughs> stupid. But um, I, I love this match. Uh, I, it, was, it was just a, a joy to watch these guys. I, I want to see him wrestle again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then after the match, we had Zack Sabre Jr. come out and uh, attack John Moxley and hold up the U.S. title. So it looks like uh, Zack Sabre Jr. wants to challenge next for the U.S. title. And again, another situation where someone who is already... Uh, now, granted, he's not the New Japan British heavyweight champion. That you know, He's a champion in Rev Pro, so he's not holding any New Japan gold, but... You know, that title pretty much is a New Japan-recognized title at this point. It's on a lot of their major shows. So, to me, it's like, okay, he wants to be the true intercontinental champion. Right, champion of the British and the U.K. Yeah. The U.S. He wants to be, you know, the international champion. That's that's cool. But then you've got, like, Shingo talking about, you know, the Never title is the only title that really matters. And he wants to be the true champion of the Never division. So, he's got both the, the Never title and the Never six-man title. And then you've got... You know, Taguchi Japan talking about wanting to win the six mans and all the gold, but they're tra- going after the six mans and, and the junior tags. And then, you know, and then the IC and the heavyweight title. So it's like there's a lot of – it's weird. It feels like they're – I'm not saying they're consolidating. I'm not – that's not the narrative that they're painting. But it does feel like this weird thing where it's like, why are you all going to the – y'all did a double title match at uh, Wrestle Kingdom, and now all of a sudden – 
everybody's going for double titles in right. the company. Is that just the narrative that's surrounding the, um, you know, the company right now? Everyone saw the success of Naito, and now they want to achieve something similar. Maybe I don't I know. I think so. Yeah, I think it's kind of what the underlying narrative probably is. But it's also like, is it overkill to have so many people trying to do that? You know, and is I don't know. It just seems kind of strange to me a little bit that we're seeing so much of it at the same time. Yeah. And that, there, there's a chance that uh, Sabre won't be a double champ if he goes, uh, if he loses to Osprey. I thought Red about Pro. that. So there's also the fact that, um, well, not the fact, but basically I can't wait to see Mox and, um, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. Um, Zach cut a really awesome promo backstage after this talking about how, He's defeated two of his previous team members talking about um, Archer and Suzuki and, you know, that he basically can't run roughshod over Suzuki goon like that. And he was calling him Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Moxley. Jonathan Moxley. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. But, um, yeah, that's that's a that's a match that we've never seen before. And I can totally dig that. Like, I'm 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 here for Zack Sabre Jr. and John Moxley. Although yeah. it might be a weird match. Yeah, well, we had a question about the match layout from Dom Homie 101. Thoughts on how the match between Moxley and Sabre would look like? Uh, well, um, you've got one guy who's an incredible... I think it would look like most Zack Sabre matches, to be honest with you, with a lot of outside brawling and striking in, involved. Um, we've seen not so much in New Japan, but we've seen Zack Sabre take on you know, guys that are heavy on the weapons and brawling in outside companies like Evolve and PWG and things of that nature. So, and, oh, and especially in, in the UK. So, you know, I think Zach would pretty much guide him through one of his style matches and probably end up selling a lot when anytime he gets struck, anytime he tries to go toe-to-toe with John Moxley. And I'm sure, again, he would try to uh, do stuff on the outside because, again, he's a Suzuki Goon member, but that's where Moxley's going to have the edge and, you know, that, that match could be pretty good. Yeah, and I think, like you mentioned, it's going to be one of those things. We see when Sabre tries to outstrike his opponents, that's his downfall, because usually his opponents are stronger than him when it comes to striking. So I think he could fall into that trap again, and then Moxley could kind of outstrike him there and lead to the victory. The one thing that detractors might not like about the match, and it might actually, depending on how Moxley does, Moxley's not going to be able to go hold for hold with him. And he's going to get ended up, he's going to end up getting, you know, tied up uh, in a lot of holds and have to basically struggle to get to the ropes and do a lot of selling. Um, I think that there will be probably be some moments where he busts out an MMA move that he knows a heel hook there or an arm bar there, but Zach's going to get out of it and then, you know, tie him up and, you know, transition a bunch of times. There might be some gaps in logic for why are you giving up your submissions <laughs> when you're so much better than Mox on the ground. But uh, ultimately, I think the match probably, I, I think it'd probably be at least a four-star affair. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we also had a question here from Sir Sam. He says, when does Moxie lose the U.S. championship and to who? I felt sure he would lose to Juice, and after that, was certain he would lose to Suzuki. After his match with Suzuki, I can pretty much only see Okada, Tanahashi, or one of those truly top-tier guys taking it from him. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I thought he was losing the juice for the same reasons. Um, I started to kind of apply that logic to Suzuki. My opinion changed over the past week, and he, Jeremy did a great job kind of laying out the reasons he thought Mox would retain here, and he was right, and I, I rode with him last week. I think we got almost every single match on this card accurate. 
Yeah, I think the only thing we got wrong was that the, the Nakanishi, yeah, the Nakanishi match. But um, I don't know when he loses it. At this point, I think that John Moxley, once he has the match with Jericho, which is next month, right? Yep, the end of this month. End of this month. Then all bets are off when it comes to John Moxley and the U.S. title, especially. If they're going to be running a big show in August that he can't be a part of and he's the U.S. champion. I'm not saying that that's, that title's going to be a highlight, but you're in the U.S. You, you should probably bring your U.S. title. That would make sense, but we've seen that clearly New Japan does not have a, a focus on wanting to have a U.S. title match on U.S. shows. Because, I mean, they could have... Easily put that belt on Juice or keep it on Archer to work these new beginning in USA shows to have the championship actually defended, which was the kind of original purpose for it. Right. Um, they're more intrigued with having a big name from the U.S. hold, hold the, the U.S. title um, and defend it in Japan. I agree with you, except for this. That show is going to need as much help as it can possibly Oh, definitely, get. yeah. And I think that they're going to probably highlight a good portion of their titles, if not possibly all of them. Right. So I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, I think for that particular show, they're going to want this belt. And I'm not saying because it's the U.S. title. I'm saying because it's a top-tier singles belt in in the company. Um, I think once, once he's had the, the match with Chris Jericho, I don't think he's beating Chris Jericho, by the way, first off. Yeah, I don't think he is either. And I think once he loses to Jericho, then all bets are off. He could lose the title at any point, whether it be at Sakura Genesis or Dominion. I think that those are the two most likely I'm, scenarios. I'm going to say Dominion is where he's going to drop it. That's probably a good show. As far as who can take the title off of him, um, John Moxley has shown a willingness to do business. And to lose to the right guys at the right times. Um, he's not a prima donna when it comes to that sort of thing. So I don't think it necessarily has to be Tanahashi or Okada. It could be one of those guys. But, I mean, I could see an upper, an upper uh, like, mid-tier guy, like a Will Ospreay, potentially. I'm not saying him specifically, but someone <laughs> like him. In that position. Kota Ibushi. Um, Maybe even Suzuki, once if they ever did have a rematch. Maybe Sonata. Maybe. Sonata. That's another name I was thinking. Evil. Ishii. Uh, the Jay White. Jay White could easily oh, yeah, be the that, guy. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of and Zack Saber could be the guy. I think Zack Saber is of that caliber, and you know, um, ultimately his main focus is gonna. Even though he's gonna be here in Japan a lot more, his main focus is. You know, AEW in the US. So, I mean, I don't think it's really that detrimental for him to lose to someone who's upper mid card. Now, maybe he does say, like, let's protect this guy. Let's have him lose to a Tanahashi or an Okada or a Naito or whoever, you know, it might be. But yeah, I, mean, I think they have a lot of people. Shingo, I think there's a lot of guys that could beat him. Yeah. So, it'll be interesting to see who, the, who ends up taking the title from him and how long does Mox have the title for. Yeah, I mean, long-term, my my whole thing is when do we see Mox get a IWGP title shot? Because I think that that's what's in the cards for him long-term. I'm surprised, not surprised in the sense that, like, he should have already had it because I think things have played out perfectly fine. But, I mean, he's a big enough starter where I think he could have already gotten a, a title shot, and I wouldn't be surprised if he does get a title shot at, like, 
a Dominion or something of that nature. Yeah. So speaking of IWGP tile shots, we had the main event here for the IWGP heavyweight and intercontinental titles. The champion Tetsuya Naito successfully defends against Kenta 34 minutes and 45 seconds. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> I haven't really collected my thoughts for what I'd like to say, so I was going to um prefer you and allow yeah. you the the uh a chance to speak, but uh Yeah, yeah I I can go first. All right. Um <laughs> We were going to do this show with Rich, and uh, he unfortunately isn't able to, to be on this the show. We'll get him on here shortly in the future, but I could only – I know if, if he'd been here, he would have been spouting <laughs> off already. <laughs> Dude, th- these guys went out here, had a 30-plus-minute match, and, dude, it was boring – there was long parts of, dude, they had like the five-minute call before they had to even touch each other, a bunch of stalling, um, a lot of just cheating, interfa- a lot of, you know, the Bullet Club stuff. Um, yeah, the whole beginning of the whole Bullet Club coming out and having to throw them out and just, just the whole story of the match just wasn't it for me. Yeah, to me, this is like your poor man's version of Jay White and Ibushi from G1 Final. It was like a lot of the similar elements, but not implemented anywhere near the same level, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's like I felt like what they were trying to do is obviously they wanted to build sympathy on Naito and they wanted Kenta to generate heat. But at this point, I felt like the heat on Kenta was at the max. He ruined Wrestle Kingdom for Naito. He's been a thorn in his side this whole tour. I felt they just need to just go out here and wrestle and have a match. And I get Naito is, you know, Mr. Tranquilo. Nothing bothers him. But this guy ruined your moment that you have been fighting for your whole career. And you come out here with the normal strolling, taking your pants off, and, you know, lackadaisical. Like, this should have started the way Hiromu and freaking Ryu Lee started. These guys should have, at the bell, Naito should have been coming for Kenta's head. Yeah, that that is something. Now that you say that, I think of all the different feuds that Naito's had over the years, uh, over the last two years. You know, the, the the two major ones that come to mind specifically would be like the Suzuki feud from two years ago and last year's feud with Chris Jericho. Those were like two of his hottest feuds, um, and I guess also last year like the Ibushi feud. And in none of those situations, even though he'd been attacked and you know beaten up and you know wronged in many ways and he was the you know the baby face going into all those feuds and all those matches we never saw heat come off of him you know what i mean and this is the one time where something was stolen from him and you know this guy also the moment where like naito's never really won in the main event of osaka joe hall before so that's another big uh element to the story you you would have expected him to rush out and attack kenta or at least that's what you would like to see from him like you said it's Yes, he's Tranquilo. Yes, he's Naito. But at the same time, that's what makes characters great and matches great when you see someone depart from who they are as a character because it's part of the story. You know what I mean? Right. And you could have had like Kenta got under his skin so much that he had to abandon, you know, being Tranquilo to, you know, truly get to this guy. 
Now, I don't think that it had to play out that way. Although once you said it, I thought to myself, wow, that would have been something really cool to see for sure. I'm fine if he does the, the Naito stuff, if that's the story they're telling. That's, they could tell whatever story they want to tell. As long as it's entertaining, as long as it's pretty much just that, as long as it's entertaining. Um, I will say this. The crowd was never not with the match. Right. Dude, this, yeah, the crowd loved the match. They loved Naito. Obviously, you know, they wanted to see Naito get revenge. They did a great job building the matchup and getting us to this point. They wanted to see Naito beat up Kenta. They were kind of living and dying with the way Kenta was attacking Naito. So it seemed like it was a hit for the crowd in the building. But for me, watching at home and several other people I've seen online, other reviewers whose opinion I respect, we're all kind of in the same wavelength here. This was kind of a, a disappointment. Kenta came out and had the most heat of anybody on the show. Naito came out and had the biggest pop of the night and the most fan support of anyone on the in you know on the show. So from that aspect, you have the elements of you know something that's definitely could have been special because you've got so much fan anticipation. I think that the match played well, like you said, to the audience in the building. But for me, as a as a viewer at home, I w- even though I don't, I would say that this was a better match than Jay White Sonata. I was more bored with this match than Jay White and Sonata. I literally kept checking my phone. I never do that for IWGP title matches. It was like I had to tell myself, like Josh, you got to put the phone down and stop, like. I was like bored watching them meander through what I would pretty much call a shitty match, honestly. Dude, you did. And then like I'd have a random thought pop in my head about something that had nothing to do with wrestling. Then I'd be like, "Oh, I gotta Google that real quick." And then like I'd find, and then I'd look up and I'm like, oh, "God, I need to pay attention to this match." And it was so hard to. It was so hard to pay attention to this match. Thirty four minutes plus. This this match wouldn't have played if it was in the G one. This is one of the lowest. Um, this is one of the lowest IWGB title matches I've ever seen in the past three or four years. Yeah, definitely. And it's just one of those situations. You know, Naito coming off the dome had an excellent, you know, main event with Okada. We've seen Kenta. You know, his run in the G One. Like he had a lot of really great matches in the G One. He had that great match with um, Ishii. Was that uh, King of Pro Wrestling or Power Struggle? One of those shows. So Kenta's capable of having great matches. So was Naito, but I don't. Know, I just don't know what the deal was here. I've I've also seen them have not singles matches, but they've had tag matches against one another. Um, in uh, what's it called in Noah mm-hmm. back in the day? Fantastic uh, interactions between the two of them. I don't know what happened here. Yeah, dude. And 34 minutes of this, like, again, this is kind of very similar to me with the Taichi Okada situation, which also that was a much better match. But like I said, for that match, I felt like they could have accomplished what they were trying to do in a little bit of shorter time. I definitely think this match could have been cut 10, 15 minutes and they could have accomplished what they were trying to do here. Let's do We'll go through this very quickly, but let's just do a quick exercise. I'm going to go through the IWGP heavyweight title matches, and we're going to exclude IC title matches entirely, but let's go through some IWGP title matches, and you tell me if you thought that they were better, or once we find one that's worse or equal, 
We'll stop. Okay. Okay. Um, Okada versus Ibushi from Wrestle Kingdom. Better. Okada versus Naito from Wrestle Kingdom. Better. Okada versus Sonata from King of Pro Wrestling. Better. Okada versus Suzuki from Royal Quest. Better. Okada Jericho at Dominion. Better. Okada and and that one might be close. Might be might be close, but I still think it's better. Okada Sonata from Dantaku. I'll say it's better. Okada Jay White from the Garden. Better. All right, let's go to Jay White's um title reign here. So we've got Okada Jay White from uh, G One Supercard. I think we talked about that one. Did we mention that one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jay White versus Hiroshi Tanahashi from New Beginning last year. So uh, I love that match. I'm having a hard time remembering that match, but I feel like it was it was better than this one. Uh, it definitely was. Um, Tanahashi versus Kenny Omega. Oh yeah, better. <laughs> All right. So now we're you know we're back in 2018 at this point. Um, Kenny Omega versus uh, Cody and Kota Ibushi from Better. King of Pro Wrestling. Omega versus Ishii from Destruction. Better. Omega Cody from G1 Special. Better. Uh, <laughs> Omega Okada from Dominion. Definitely better. All right. So let's go back to Okada. Um, Okada Tanahashi, Dantaku. Better. Okada Saber from Genesis. Better. Okada Sonata, New Beginning. Better. Okada Naito from Wrestle Kingdom 12. Better. Okada Evil from King of Pro Wrestling. Better. Okada versus Cody. Better. Okada versus Kenny Omega from Dominion. Better. Okada versus Bad Luck Fale from Dantaku. That was four stars. Better. <laughs> Okada versus Shibata from Genesis. Better. Okada versus Minoru Suzuki. Better. Okada versus Kenny Omega from... Better. Okada versus Marafuji is better. Okada versus Naito from Dominion. Better. It's better. Dude, we're back in 2016. I'll stop there. Okay? We've gone over four years. This, uh, I'm sorry, but in the last four years, this is the worst IWGP title defense that we've seen. Yeah. And the closest one is probably Chris Jericho versus um, Okada. Okada. And I... I way, I mean, I, I enjoy that way more than this. Yeah. yeah. I think part of the issue might here, but I, th- I feel like Kento was too busy, like, playing this, this heel character instead of just wrestling, and just, just just being the badass Kenta that he is. I mean, okay, so some stuff I will praise. The fact that he was able to come back from being Hideo Itami, he's one year removed, basically, literally, from being on the undercard of WWF, you know, cruiserweight matches on pay-per-view. And a year later, he's selling out, um, new, you know, Osaka Joe Hall. That's a big deal. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, his performance has been great. I mean, like we mentioned, all his singles matches have been great before this. Yeah. His, his promos have been His promos excellent. have been awesome. And, you know, Naito coming in here with all the fan support and all the hype and being the double champion and having that great match against Okada... I, I'm not gonna sit here and say either guy is done. It's not like that, but they shit the bed. Um, from a commercial standpoint, this is can't be seen as anything other than a huge success, huge success. But as a fan and a viewer, I don't want to watch Kenta and Naito wrestle again. Never. Um, I think that this match was atrocious. I have seen some people that I respect as far as. Um, 
reviewers and that sort of thing go as high as like four stars on this. I've seen somebody go four and a half on this. So there are some people that like it. I don't. I I mean, you know, when I first saw that, I was like, maybe I'm the outlier here. You and I haven't even had a discussion about this match before we got on the air at all. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is a, organic. Yeah. But um, the only thing that saved this match for me was the last four minutes when we got the Naito got juice. Was it was it a blade job or was it hard way? Because I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell either. It happened very. To me, it could have definitely been a blade job. I think it was blade because the, the, the whole the the ring um, buckles were exposed the whole match. That was kind of the beginning of the match where Kenta exposed that. So also, I think that was kind of part of the spot there. But at the same time, it could have been that that was the planned spot that he would hit the buckle, but not get busted. But open. not get busted open. So it could have definitely been hard way. I didn't see a blade job occur, and I'm usually very good at catching them. But at the same time, like. Man, he bled bad really, 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 really fast. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, okay, this match just picked up. Like, this, <laughs> this guy is bleeding all over the place. Yeah. But then, one thing that made me think that maybe it was a hard way was the match ended very quickly after that. I mean, super quick. It wasn't like, it wasn't like uh, Kenta was, like, attacking the wound and, you know, Naito was selling the blood loss and... Bumbling, they didn't do that, which is something you would think that you would try to do if there was blood involved. Uh, instead, they they went to a finish a few minutes later, and it was flat. It was flat, and um, I I just I didn't like this match, man. I didn't like it, and you know what? Um, at four hours, this was the cherry on top of a show that I did not enjoy. I know a lot of people enjoyed the show, and I know normally we have a lot of positivity when it comes to our reviewing of New Japan. It's hard for me to say I didn't like a show when it had two really, really outstanding matches. But for me, when I'm watching a show, the order of the show and the energy throughout the show really plays a big role. It's not just an average star rating sort of situation for me. It's mm -hmm. how what was my uh, experience watching the show, and it's like, if you look at the show top to bottom, it's like, okay, realistically, we had, yes, it was a quote-unquote stacked show, but you had three multi-man matches that were just kind of there. And then you had your five big matches. You had the tag match and these four singles matches. I thought the tag match was good, but nothing, like, really to write home about. And then two actively, what I would call bad, singles matches with two great matches that doesn't scream Osaka Joe Hall level show to me. Right. This is a show that got by on star appeal and story and, and, and drew based off that, but the actual matches and I feel stupid because it's like, you know, we have friends who are always kind of criticizing Jay White and Sonata and well, maybe not so much Sonata, but like Jay White and Naito and Kenta. And they were like, yo, this isn't the move. This, this this shows, you know, those matches are not going to deliver. And I was kind of thinking, like, you know what? They're wrong. These matches are probably going to be really great. It's Osaka Joe Hall. It's February. We're hot off the heels of Wrestle Kingdom. Big storylines, big stakes, big stars, fresh matchups. And they shit the bed. Yeah, I was not expecting the match to be this bad. Like, I had some um, kind of, you know, restraint, kind of restraints about how good it was going to be. But I did not think it would be to this level. The thing is, there's some people who probably think we're being overly critical. In a vacuum, is Naito Kenta a fine match? 
sure. Like on Raw, you know, <laughs> or SmackDown or a road. If this was on a road to show, I'd be like, check it out. You know, if there was no title on on the line, but it's an IWGP heavyweight title match. We just demonstrated to you listeners that there hasn't been one that was this underperforming in four years. And I bet you if we kept going. You go way back. I don't know that we would find one in the last five or six years that that was this bad, honestly. So context is key. Context is everything. I know there are people who are diehards for Naito. I know that. And, and I'm a big supporter of Naito. But this was a bad look for him and a bad look for his title reign. The Again, on the business side, they did great. But at 34 minutes to have this kind of match made me not want to see Naito continue to carry the title, honestly. Same here. I'm like, if this is what we're going to get going forward, then I, I don't want the, Naito as a champion. I, I, I want him out of there. Now, here's the thing. We've got a fantastic matchup lined up for him come uh, anniversary show. We'll get to that in a, in a little bit. And they have a great cast of guys that he can t- continue to have great matches with down the line. So I don't think – I'm not ready to, like, proclaim his title reign, reign dead or anything of that nature. But, I mean, dude, this, was, this really left me – I don't like watching long – New Japan shows and feeling so deflated when it's all said and done. I've felt deflated for the last day or so because of this match. And um, it was a four-hour show. And I've watched so many six-hour, five- to six-hour New Japan shows where I felt like they were felt energized after. Energized two, three hours. You know, I was like, man, I felt like it was two or three hours. This felt like it was a five-hour show. Like, it felt like it took forever. It, it, yeah, it was like WrestleMania, bro. Like, it sucked. Yeah. I was, I, and I'm bummed about that. Like, I don't like that at all. This, this should have been a show of the year contender. It should have been. Look at the lineup. This is not it, Chief. Yeah. This is not it, Chief. And I bet, and there are other people who would probably not be as positive. We've been, yes, we've been critical, but I know lots of people who'd be even more critical than we have been. We're still kind of outlying some of the um, positives here and that sort of thing. But, dude, this sucked. Yeah. This sucked. Really bad main event. I went three and a half on it. Yeah, same here. Like we talked about several times on this show, three and a half could be a good rating. If it's like a 10-minute match, maybe if even like a 15-minute match. But you're going 34 minutes, and it's for the it's for both IWGP and IC titles. Off you, that angle? You can only get three and a half in 34 minutes. That ain't good. That's Yeah, it's not good. It's horrible. Here's the other thing, too. Um, I think the only reason that some people, and maybe it, and everyone can have their own opinion, but I think one of the reasons people are giving it a higher rating than it was was because of the crowd and the blood and the anticipation, like the, the stage that it occurred on. I think those are, but I think if you take away the crowd, and granted, I think those things added. I think that's why I'm going three and a half on it. Yeah. You take away that closing sequence. You take away the blood. You take away the crowd. I'm like three stars on a 30 plus minute match. Not good. Not good at all. Not 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 when there's 11,000 people there. Not when it's for the double titles. Not when it was built off that angle. This was a, this was a huge whiff. Huge, huge whiff. Yeah. Swing and a miss. 
All right, so we have uh, several questions here uh, revolving this matchup here. So first from Reddit user Highest Fly Flow says, "Now that Kenta is done with Naito, or so I think, what do you guys think of a of a Kenta slash Suzuki feud? They can build off the idea that Kenta took Suzuki's spot in the G1 last year." Um. I don't know if they'll do that, but I'm I I would love to see that feud. I think they could have really good matches, and I think that's a, a good idea. Yeah, it'd be an interesting feud, uh, especially with both guys um, being heels um, and having a kind of a bullet club Suzuki Gun kind of thing. Um, I definitely would like to see the matchup. I'm not sure if I want to see like a, a three match series or anything, but I think uh, you know a build up to a match would be fun to see. Yeah, I'm wondering if Minoru Suzuki and Kenta have had interactions in Noah in the past. Yeah, I'd be curious to, uh, to see that because uh, I'm not yeah, I'm not really familiar with Suzuki's run in Noah much, so I'm not sure if those guys cross paths when Kento was still there. Well, you know, uh, keep in mind that Minoru Suzuki was a uh, free, well, still is, but was a longtime freelancer. Right. Um, they have had two two matches, um, both in 2005. Once at Noah Great Voyage for the GHC heavyweight title. Uh, Kenta. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. That was Kenta Kobashi. <laughs> That's actually like one of Minoru Suzuki's best matches. They had one singles match in August uh, of 2005. Minoru Suzuki defeated Kenta in 15 minutes mm. at Shiny Navigation. So, yeah, they've had one singles match in the past. Yeah, I'd be interested to see it. Um, we had another question following that. Um, from uh, Who Day 42 He said at this point Who is the right person to take the heavyweight title And icy belt off Naito Do you go with one of the three In the double gold dash Or use this momentum to elevate a new talent um, I'll say this I still think Given what Now they can change at any point But they said in the past that This would be the only time he would defend bo- Both titles I think it would be a big mistake to have him lose, quote-unquote, the IC title. I don't think your world champion should be losing intercontinental title matches. So I think he should relinquish that belt. Do you think he could lose the heavyweight title and stay with the IC title? That would suck for him. I, I think that also is not good for his credibility either. I think you could do that, but I don't think they should do that. I think he should relinquish the IC title. I still think that that's the best uh, course of action, um, ultimately. I mean, who knows? Maybe Gato has something else in mind uh, for his booking that might even play out better. But to me, I mean, yeah, I don't think that it's a good look to have him continue to hold both belts unless they're going to merge them and make it a double crown or something of that nature. But who wants to, you know, fly to America and have two 25-pound belts (laughs) in their bag? Right, and Based off of interviews, it sounds like he really wants to defend both titles separately. So it sounds like that's probably going to be the game plan going forward. I hope they don't do that. Um, as far as who he could drop the title to, it could be anybody at this point. Yeah, I, th- I think some of the guys from that double gold dash make a lot of sense. I think uh, Kota Ibushi or Kazuchika Okada are, two, are probably two favorites, I think, to take the belt off of him. I also think that any of the members from LIJ are, you know, valid candidates. Shingo, Sonata, Evil. You could really elevate any one of those guys and also tell a great story if they decided to do something of that nature. Yeah. 
Uh, next question we had from Reddit user Rambo and Slam Pig. He said, "What would you rate Naito's Crimson Mask on the Muda scale? Also, were you surprised to see no titles change hands at Osaka Joe Hall?" Um, well, as far as the Muda scale, um, the way the Muda scale works, uh, full Muda is 1.0, so you go by, uh, you know, zero point whatever increments. Uh, I'd go like 0. 0.5, 0.5. Yeah, let's say about that. He didn't. I mean, he was really, really, really bloody, but it didn't cover his entire face. Uh, it coagulated pretty quick, and kind of, you know, he he was actively bleeding during the press conference and all that. Um, I did think that they. It was kind of disgusting. I thought that they should. Uh, they should have wiped him off and 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 you know, put some water on him. Right. I mean, you don't see guys in in MMA. Who had a cut during a fight? Like just stay bloody after the fight. There was like, a hilarious selfie of uh, Hiromu and Naito. If Naito was like laying down in full yeah. blood, <laughs> like, but I, I get it. It's wrestling. There's theatrics, but I, I don't know. Um, but I would go on like zero point five. He didn't bleed for too long, and it, 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 it was pretty bad. But it, you know, it what I've seen way worse blade jobs. Way, I mean, you know, Taker at, at Hell in a Cell, No Mercy, O two, Dust in that uh, yeah, AW God um, with that all out. Yeah, um, Eddie Guerrero in that match, the bull rope match with uh, oh JBL, JBL. yeah, uh, John Cena against the Brock JBL. Match. Oh, oh, no, he was the the match with JBL, uh, the I the I quit match. Oh yeah, was that like No Mercy? It was that yeah, I think it was Great American Ma- Bash Backlash Backlash. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, one of those. Really, 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 really bad. So I mean, they're they're oh, um, speaking of Great American Bash, uh, Shawn Michaels against uh, Chris Jericho. Yeah, the street fight. Yeah, he bled. That's actually what made them stop doing blade jobs. That match. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I've seen. There's there's definitely been worse. Uh, and and in New Japan, I mean, back in the dark ages, there's some uh, Nagata matches and stuff like that. So yeah. <laughs> uh, but the other part of the question, I was not surprised to see uh, no titles changing hands. I think we predicted that all titles would, uh, all the champions would. We are um, accurate predictors, Jeremy. Yeah. Yep, uh, we didn't think any of these tiles were changing. Yeah, I mean, we were. I think the ones that we were kind of questioned about were maybe like the junior tags, yep. and maybe the U.S. But we we're kind of confident in our prediction and thing that yeah, these guys are keeping the belts right now. We're just coming off of you know new beginning or coming off of Wrestle Kingdom. I didn't think right now we we're going to see a lot of big tile changes. Yep. Next question from Viking Pain. He said Kenta said in one of his promos backstage that if he wins the double championship. He'll throw the heavyweight title away and will focus on defending the IC title instead until he returns. Now we all know that he didn't win, but I think this is him foreshadowing something down the line. So let's say Kenta does end up with the IC title. Who do you guys think he's referring to? Shinsuke? Uh, I think he's just being a troll. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what Nakamura's contract status is, but I'm pretty sure he's happy you know, getting that that Fox money to you know dance around with Sami Zayn and Cesaro and not do much. So Shinsuke's got a different IC title to focus on, right? right. Now. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think it's one of those things we talk about in the backstage promos. Guys just kind of say stuff, and especially heels and just kind of troll. Especially Kenta, he's being extremely super troll lately, um, and just cocky and like stirring stuff up. So it's like, yeah, maybe he was referring to Shinsuke. But clearly, if he won the belts, he wasn't going to throw the IWGP title away. And clearly, he wasn't going like Shinsuke's not coming back. So, no, I don't think this was uh, like an Easter egg. I just think it's just him being a, a dirtbag heel. Yeah. 
Uh, next question from Reddit user Dom Homie 101. With the success of the new beginning show in Osaka Joe Hall, do you guys think that NJPW will eventually run the Osaka Dome in the near future? I would love it. I don't know if they uh, will. We do know that they've been in talks to do other domes. So Osaka Dome's one, Fukuoka Dome is another. Those are, you know, big venues that they used to run in the past. So it's possible, but they need the right match, the right, you know. I think with them getting back on primetime television, that's going to help with uh, visibility. I think if there's demand there, they would love to do that. Yeah, I think it'd be a great move for them. You know, multiple dome shows in one year, that would be awesome. He also asked thoughts on the possibility of the ticking time bomb being in this year's G1 climax. Um, it's a possibility, but I don't necessarily see it as being a realistic possibility. Yeah, I don't think it's a lock whatsoever. I mean, we have a stacked heavyweight division, and you already have guys like Shingo and Osprey who have kind of moved up um, and being in that role. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of heavyweights without bringing in. Moving people up or bringing out outside talent. So I'm not sure if there's going to be a spot for Hiromu this year. Not only that, but the LIJ element is a big part of that. I mean, Evil's going to be in it. Sonata's going to be in it. Shingo's going to be in it. And so is Naito. You've already got four LIJ members. I mean, to add a fifth, that would be something interesting. You know, I do like the idea to add to the prestige of the G1 and to add and to mix things up and give us fresh matchups to include someone from the junior division. And if, if that happens to be the junior champion going forward, that'd be a really cool thing. So maybe that's a possibility, but I, I don't think it's the most likely scenario. It's possible. Yeah. And also asks, uh, what would you guys rather take a wrestling show with a great undercard and subpar main event or a show for a great main event and a subpar undercard? It really, really depends because how subpar are we talking when it comes to the main event and how subpar are we talking about when it comes to the undercard in these scenarios? The one thing I'll say is this. You can have a subpar show, and if you have a really great main event, you'll leave the show. You always take whatever happens in the main event is going to be the last thing that you remember, the last emotion that you experience, the last feeling, you know, taste that you have in your mouth. Um, sometimes you can have a great undercard and a subpar main event. And if the main event was like subpar to the standard, let's say it's like three and a half, four, I don't know, something like that, then maybe it's passable. But if it's actively bad, then no, I, I wouldn't be in favor of that. If I had to pick between the two, I'm going to say subpar undercard with a good main event, although it depends. Yeah, it's hard. It's like, because then you're just kind of sitting there the whole show, just kind of watching these kind of lackluster matches until you finally get to that main event. Um, there might be times where mm -hmm. I kind of, especially if like the whole undercard, like matches like one through seven are all like bangers. And then the eighth match kind of flops. Like, at least we saw seven bangers before the, the flop. So, yeah, I think it all really, it really just depends, like, how subpar we're talking. Like, is the main event, like, three stars, but everything else is, like, four to, like, four and a half range? Or, you know, yeah, it really kind of depends. Mm. Um, I don't know, but I feel like leaning, I lean more towards the, having the subpar main event with a great undercard, with all the undercard being like four stars and above. It, yeah, and again, that's what I was saying when I say it depends. Because if you have a classic card like that, 
then maybe I would go that way. But it depends. I mean, what if the main event is really bad? You know what I mean? Right, like two stars. Yeah. Yeah. Then then it's then that kind of still sucks. So right. Yeah. It it just depends. I'd rather have a great show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All around. Um, and so. That kind of wraps up our new beginning in Osaka review, and we're going to jump into the news. And one thing that happened at the end of Osaka that kind of blends into the first news item we're going to talk about. So um, after the match, Naito uh, called out Hiromu Takahashi and um, challenged him for a matchup there. And then we had the press conference um, earlier today, and it was made official Naito versus Hiromu for the 48th anniversary show, March 3rd, Oto Ward Gymnasium. This has kind of been the tradition the last couple of years for the anniversary shows to have the IWGB Junior Heavyweight Champion challenge the current heavyweight champion. Last year, we had Osprey uh, take on Jay White. Yeah. Um, one one last thing about the main event. We did have run-ins during the match uh, when because they sent the Bullet Club back. But then at the end, towards the end of the match, there was run-ins from... Um, Bushi and Hiromu. Bushi and Hiromu. They they were kind of thwarting the uh, interference from... Was it just Jay White? Yeah, it was just Jay White, because uh, Jay hit Bushi with the Blade Runner, but then Hiromu was able to... He super kicked uh, Jay White and got him out of there. Yeah. I was kind of hoping that when Naito did the quote-unquote golden roll call, that all of LIJ would come out. They didn't do that. I also was kind of upset when all of Bullet Club came out first as the challengers and they brought their whole crew and then Naito came out by himself. And I'm yeah. Like, God, where the, f- can't these dudes ever have his back? I, I, well, and you know, Son- Sonata was crying cause he lost. <laughs> <laughs> Hiromu at first was tired from the, the Ryu Lee match. <laughs> Evil probably wasn't even there. <laughs> Evil was chilling with Io Shirai at home. Like I get it. I, I understand that, you know, they, they're not that kind of group anymore. People are like, they're not that kind of group. And I'm always like anymore. Cause like three years ago they were, but uh, <laughs> I'm like, you know, if, if, if you see homie come out with his whole crew, don't you, don't you think you should come out with your crew? Like these guys never have each other's backs. But anyways, um, I saw something today where it said Hiromu came into the press conference and was demanding an IWGP title shot. Yes. He challenged, he wants the challenge for the IWGP heavyweight title as of right now, that has not been sanctioned by the IWGP. Um, just, just by the IWGP. Yes. <laughs> uh, as of right now, it's just Naito versus Hiromu, non-title main event of the anniversary show. We'll see if the IWGP grants Hiromu's request. Um, but either way, I think this should be a, a good matchup here. Yeah, I think going back to November when Hiromu made his return and it was official, he was challenging. Uh, Will Ospreay, most people had this earmarked on their calendars. They're like, well, Naito's going to, you know, win the title, defend it at New Beginning, and go in as champion, and so will Hiromu, and we'll get the anniversary show. This is the match that people wanted, and it's finally occurring. Um, so, yeah, uh, this that this is a really, really, really great matchup. Um, I'm excited for it, and I hope it does end up being an IWGP title shot for Hiromu. Right, I mean... Naito's going to win regardless, so go, let's make it a title match. Just make it a title match. Let's do it and give Hiromu his first uh, heavyweight title shot. I'm, I'm all for that. And something else coming out of the press conference, we had the announcement of the NJPW New Zealand Dojo, which is going to be established in Auckland, New Zealand, and they're having tryouts um, to be held May 9th and 10th. 
And a question here from Sir Sam. Do you know anything about the newly minted New Zealand dojo? Is it just a folly dojo by another name? And what does it mean for future Aussie shows? I, I've got to imagine it is just the folly dojo with another name. Yeah, from what I heard uh, from a source today, it is the folly dojo is supposed to be releasing a press release at some point today. And essentially it's going to be, it's the folly dojo being rebranded as a New Japan official dojo. Yep. Yeah, and... Um, what it means for future Aussie shows, we don't know specifically, but I would imagine that if they have plans to expand into Australia and New Zealand, that this would be the first step in that direction, similar to what we're seeing in L.A. So if, if uh, you know, New Japan Pro Wrestling of America is any sort of indication, we might be seeing something akin or similar to that in Australia. Yeah, so very exciting to kind of get that official dojo there. And this means more young lions and... Potential more Young Lions Cup, so I'm excited about that. The next bit of news, uh, we have the Tiger Hattori Retirement Show on February 19th coming up. The main event was announced uh, for his retirement match. It will be a six-man tag team match as Chaos, uh, represented by Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Kazushiko Okada will take on Los Ingernables de Japón, Sanada, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. So yeah, it should be a fun show. The full card is up on the website. I just wanted to go over the main events for these shows because next week we'll go over these shows and give you our, our preview and predictions. And so following that Tiger Hattori retirement show on the 20th, there's the first New Japan Road Show. Uh, we'll have in the semi-main the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions Rapungi 3K show and yo defending against the mega coaches Rocky and Rizketaguchi. And then the main event that evening will be the never open weight championship match as Shingo defends against Tomohiro Ishii. What a fitting uh, event for this to take place at road. <laughs> at road. <laughs> uh, I remember we did like a thing last year. You were like, we were talking about New Japan Road. And you were like, road to what? <laughs> yeah, it's just road. I'm not even calling it New Japan Road because it's it's New Japan. That'd be like calling it WWF Road, you know? Right. So I'm just nah. They're fighting that road. <laughs> Cork and Road. Cork and Road. Is, you remember the Road Wild shows? It's yeah. Like, it's like just Road. <laughs> oh, my God. And then uh, on February 21st, and, and also that match is going to be incredible, but, uh, you know, it's at Road. <laughs> um, you know, not not New Japan Cup, not at uh, Secure Genesis. Secure Genesis, at Road. But I will say, you know, all these shows are in Cork and Hall. That Cork yeah. and crowd is going to eat this up. It's going to... This is going to be a match of the year contender. And and uh, on February 21st, we have the never open weight six-man tag team titles on the line as the team of Taguchi, Toriyano, and Colt Cabana take on the reigning champions of LIJ, Bushi, Evil, and Shingo. And in the main event, the IWGP tag team champion, heavyweight uh, tag team championships are on the line as Kota Ibushi and Hiroshi Tana Tanahashi challenge against G.O.D. And then we have a question here from Dom Homie 101. Thoughts on a possibility of Ibushi and Tanahashi winning the tag titles and then eventually feuding with a team like Kenta and Jay White? I hope they do. I hope Kenta and Jay White are in the tag division. I hope Okada and Osprey are in the tag division. I hope we get Goto and uh, Ishii in the tag division. I hope we get Shingo and Evil in the tag division. I hope we get Dangerous Techers. Like... I would love to see teams of guys in their stables together who are upper main eventers or upper mid-carters who want to challenge for these belts and make them, 
make the tag team division great again. Right. And, you know, we've been <laughs> getting questions ever since we started doing the show. How can we make the tag team division better? And we talk about, you know, getting these, these mega guys together, these these main event guys like Tanahashi and Ibushi who aren't really doing much, putting them together and having them win the titles and then wrestle other kind of mega teams. So I think this is a right step in the direction for the tag team division. Um, putting the belts on Tanahashi and Ibushi helps elevate those tag team titles with the schedule that New Japan has this year, there's a lot of big shows, a lot of road to show, a lot of tours, U.S. shows. You need more titles that are credible that can main event these shows. You have the, the IWGP title and the IC title kind of mixed up as one right now. So they're elevating the Never title with Shingo. And now you can get these tag titles on Ibushi and Tanahashi elevated and those can main event shows. Yeah, and I mean, if you mix them in with other established tag teams like G.O.D., like Finn Juice, like... Uh, you know, um, dangerous techers, dangerous techers, evil and Sonata, things like that. I mean, that helps everybody all, all across the board. So, I mean, I, I think that's a great way to go. Um, and then the last bit of news on February 22nd, we have uh, Nakanishi's retirement show. The main event is Manabu Nakanishi, or I'm sorry, <laughs> his retirement match. With, it will see the team of Yuji Nagata, Satoshi Kojima. Hiroyoshi Tenzana Manabu Nakanishi taking on the team of Hiroki Goto, Kota Ibushi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kazushika Okada. So yeah, great kind of generational battle there, and that should be um, a fun matchup here for Nakanishi's final match in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, so then we have international ticket sales for Secure Genesis will be going on sale. Uh, by the time you hear this, it should be on sale February of 11th. For that show in Rio Goku on March 31st. Yes, and this week's free match of the week is the Takashi Isuka retirement match. It was a six-man tag team match of Kazushiko Okada, Toriyano, and Hiroyoshi Tenzan, taking on the team of uh, Isuka, Taichi, and Minoru Suzuki um, with Japanese commentary. So that is your free match of the week. Will Tenzan be able to restore the soul <laughs> of <laughs> Takashi Isuka? Uh, Find out next week <laughs> on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> and then in other news, we had a big match announced for the Ring of Honor Supercard of Honor here in Lakeland, Florida. The ROH six-man tag team titles will be on the line as the Mexi squad, Bandito, Flamita, and Ray Horace will defend against the Chaos team of Will Ospreay, Rocky Romero, and Amazing Red. Then we have the Rev Pro High Stakes coming up on Valentine's Day, February 14th. We will have ELP defending the British Cruiserweight title against the British Super J-Cup winner, Michael Oku. And then Zack Sabre Jr. will defend the British Heavyweight title against Will Ospreay. And then the last thing here, the current IWGP Tag Team Champions, the Gorillas of Destiny, have been announced for Generation Championship Wrestling. We run this town event here in Tampa, Florida, happening uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of WrestleMania week. We mentioned to you guys a few episodes ago that we are going to be doing media for that event and we're going to be there for the GCW events there at the Italian Club. So definitely you want to come out. If you're coming to Tampa, come in early. Check out these shows. They're bringing in the Gorillas of Destiny. They're also going to have guys like Tajiri and Psychosis. Um, a lot of the local uh, Florida talent, you know, the OAO, the guys that we're always talking about, Troy Hollywood, Snoop Strikes, and Hunter Law. A lot of the great uh, local Tampa and Florida independent guys mixing it up with some of these, you know, top names like God and um, big names like that that they're bringing in. Ray Tessa Horace. 
Yeah. Mm. The reigning Impact World Heavyweight Champion. The, the strongest mind in professional wrestling. I have the strongest mind I've ever known. <laughs> uh, all right, so now we're going to uh, close up. we got some. I, I just want to say this. Um, 19, 20, 21, and 22, four days in a row. I don't think I'm going to be able to watch all those shows. <laughs> but I will, I will uh, do my best to cover... Uh, the all the matches of importance and keep up with what's going on. Yeah, this uh, this uh this licensing exam study is no freaking joke. When I say like I like in 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 all the years we've been doing this, I've never really taken time off to do anything other than cover this stuff. So I mean, I've been completely devoted. But man, like if I was watching four days of a row, two and a half hours shows, that's what how many hours? Twelve hours? Yeah, something like that. Two and a half. Ten, it's ten, ten hours. Ten. Yeah, we're not good at math here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm starting for my uh, <laughs> my financial advising <laughs> licenses. Uh, yeah, that's it's not going to happen. Yeah, maybe we can bring in a uh, special guest to uh, help cover those shows for that week. But the only person we know that's going to be watching all those shows is, like, Murray. No, I'm sure maybe, uh, you know, front show Chris Samsa. And there, there might be some other guests that we kind of have um, on our list of people we want to work with this year that – might be watching all these shows that we can kind of bring in. Here's the only thing. I'm on the first of four licenses, and I'm going full hard all year doing this, so it's going to definitely be like a slight step back from what we do here. It's not my, – my passion's not gone in any way, and I'm not – it's not like I'm not going to be keeping up with what's going on, but, I mean, like literally it's like every day I have to be studying every single day. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, we definitely got a, a bunch of people that always are willing to come on the show. So, yeah, we'll bring in some guests – uh, through this time period to um, you know, help out with the coverage here. But we have a la- uh, few questions here that we're going to wrap up with. Um, first question from Eater of Bread. He said, do you think WWE potentially moving core content away from their network could have a uh, knock-on effect on the way New Japan and other wrestling streaming services operate? Um, there's definitely going to be some kind of impact. So for those of you who don't know, it, um, the WWE had their, um, you know, their investor call um, last week, and one of the big kind of talking points coming out of that is talking about potentially the WWE network changing, even maybe even going away, and, and kind of going the UFC route of selling your pay per views to a pre existing um, streaming service. And so we could see pay per views being moved to a ESPN Plus or uh, the Peacock's uh, service that's coming out soon, or one of these other kind of bigger streaming services. I would uh, love if they went to DAZN so I could get MMA, boxing, <laughs> and wrestling. Um, but, you know, here's the thing. Everything is changing when it comes to multimedia, especially here in the States, uh, when it comes to OTT services and streaming and just the way business is done with, you know, them rolling out Disney Plus this year and the growth of Amazon and you know, Netflix is trying to kind of keep their market share. They're losing a lot of their mate. I mean, they're losing friends and losing the office to NBC uh, with Peacock. And I mean, that literally is like the main draws, the main draws. of <laughs> That's like, that's like, uh, that's, that's like new Japan losing, uh, Okada. <laughs> Okada. Yeah. So, I mean, um, that's, that's kind of, and there's so many more, I mean, ESPN plus and DAZN and, you know, all these different things that, that are occurring. And, yeah, I think that a lot is changing. We've seen that pay-per-view is not dead uh, just from 
different things like the Logan Paul fight doing a million and ESPN kind of moving all their pay-per-views to ESPN plus we've seen what kind of business someone like um, Conor McGregor was able, I mean, Conor McGregor literally off this last fight, they did over a million um, pay-per-view fights the first time in streaming history at like $60 a pop. They saw 500,000 new ESPN plus subscribers. And I think that the bundle uh, deal where you can get Hulu, Disney Plus, and ESPN Plus together. They it's definitely sp- helped. Yeah, they're at like 7.9 million subscribers right now. Yeah, and they saw an even bigger increase because of that that uh, previous fight the other weekend. So there's a lot of things changing. We know that pay-per-view is not a completely dead medium. And you think of someone like WWE, they used to like gross like $60 million for one day for like WrestleMania. You do the math. They've got 1.4 million subscribers right now. That means they're doing like 14 million a month. 14 times 12. They're, you know, is that right? 14, 1.4. Yeah. Times 10. Yeah. Yeah. So they're doing like 14 million basically a month. They're they're not even making that much year round for you know they they shot themselves in the foot by completely moving. They thought they were going to have three million subscribers within the first three years. Never. Right. Never happened. Yeah, it was a huge mistake to put WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, SummerSlam on the network. Those should have stayed on pay-per-view. And there's a lot of things that could happen. They could hypothetically wind up just selling the uh, streaming slash TV rights to their major pay-per-views, or, or like the big four, or all of them. Um, those are definite possibilities. I mean, can you imagine, like, Fox airing, you know... WrestleMania, like the Super Bowl, there has been rumors of uh, Fox potentially buying WrestleMania rights. So, I mean, those are those are possibilities that could definitely happen. They could bundle their network with, uh, you know, some of these other bigger carriers and and kind of go that route. They also could um, leave the network as is, but maybe just incorporate some of these other uh, affiliated uh, groups like Evolve and. ICW and um, progress and leave it at the same price point it is now similar to the model that the UFC has because right now they have fight pass you can get all sorts of fight content on fight pass but if you want to watch the pay-per-views you have to have ESPN plus and they're they're separate from one another that's something that could happen with WWE I say all this to say say this um, I don't know how much it will affect New Japan but it you know, streaming is this thing that everyone is trying to get has tried over the past few years to get into within the wrestling industry. And WWE is the market leader when it comes to this sort of thing. And they're not even the market leaders when it comes to sports content with streaming or entertainment in general. They're they're one of the smallest players at this point, even though they're one of the first adopters. So whatever happens with them is going to have a trickle effect on the industry. New Japan obviously being a Japanese company might not be quite the same thing, but um, I think it will definitely have some sort of effect regardless one way or the other. Yeah. It may even open up doors for a property like New Japan to do something in the States with somebody when it comes to streaming. The only problem is you, you have to work with TV Acai. They own all the rights and all the, the footage that's on there. Right. And I think with New Japan, one of the kind of differences is, you know, that's like the main way for foreigners to watch New Japan is through New Japan World. Um, you know, with WWE, you, you have Raw and Smack. You can watch WWE without the network. You don't have to watch pay-per-views. You can still get that contact just by having cable. 
But with the way New Japan's set up, if you want to watch New Japan, best way is New Japan World right now. Yeah, I mean, with everyone moving so much to these paid subscription streaming services, I mean, you know, Joe Schmo, who's an average wrestling fan, who knows how much money he has to pay for another potential $10 a month bill when he's already got four or five of them and he's already paying 50 or $60 a month. So, um, here in the States. So I don't know. Uh, it, it remains to be seen, but yeah, I think that whatever ends up happening, we're supposed to hear something in the first quarter, whatever ends up happening with WWE is going to have some effect, whether it's positive or negative on the rest of the streaming services. Uh, I could see where a lot of these streaming services go under mm. and, and stop earning money as more things become prevalent with, you know, OTT services because the saturation in the marketplace. Right. So that was a great question. Uh, thank you for that. We have another question from highest five flow. He said, was there anything better than that? You versus Gabriel kid match from road Two. that match was wild. I didn't see this match. Um, but I think you said you liked like Suji and you better than that. Yeah. I mean, I thought this Yumura Gabriel kid match was a, you know, really good young lions match, but I enjoyed as far as the young lion matches, I enjoyed the, more a Suji match the following day a little bit better. I mean, there's already that kind of built-in story and that long-going rivalry and to see um, more kind of pick the win up there and tie back up the series there between him and Suji was pretty awesome. I saw this question. I, I You never mentioned anymore, Gabriel Kids Me. I was like, were, are you been holding out? Was this like <laughs> some sort of banger I didn't, I didn't hear I about? Mean, it was pretty good. Like, I don't know. I'm not really huge on Gabriel Kid just yet. I mean, I think he has all the basics down and he's, you know, looked as good as any other previous young lion, but I don't know. I just don't feel like he's been given the chance to kind of show all what he's truly made of yet. So, yeah. Um, if you want, I mean, in my opinion, the best, uh, young lion match I've ever seen is the Narita versus Yagi series. Those two matches, both Dude, of them. So awesome. <laughs> I will never forget just like marking out, watching those things, man. Um, after that, we had a question from Brian James Interactive. He said, what do you think could be the possible reason they would not run the UK again, having sold out the copper box last time, investing everything in the US side with the new company, question mark? Uh, I think that's a possibility. Yeah, definitely, you know, they got New Japan to America. There's a lot of, you know, focus on building the New Japan presence in America. So they probably figured they want to do this MSG show. We're not going to do the UK and who knows maybe they'll do UK later in the year maybe they do the copper box because the schedule's all kind of out of whack this year with the G1 moving to the fall maybe we do get some kind of UK show after the G1 or in that on that road to Wrestle Kingdom yeah it's been exciting how they've been show after show sort of um unveiling more more details as to what their future plans are for the year so i don't think that just because we haven't heard anything in february about the rest of their plans for the year precludes them from, um, you know, doing another UK show. I think that they probably do have plans to do another UK show. In fact, if history tells us anything, they're definitely going to do one because they've been doing one for the last five years, almost four or five years. I mean, even though most of those shows were in conjunction with RevPro, they've they've never not done one since they started. So I, I would almost guarantee you they're going to do something. Yeah, so, yeah, I definitely keep your eyes out for that. So, yeah, they're rolling out announcements, all these big shows. I'm definitely, I'm pretty sure they'll probably have something later on this year. I would year. say I'm 85% positive. Yeah. 
Uh, Grunty Dodds asked us, he said, last week we were all shocked to hear that evil is hot. Can we get a definitive ruling on who is the hottest hunk on the roster? Oh, yeah. This is a great question. I can, <laughs> I can stick my teeth into this one. Um, who do you think is the hottest guy on the roster? Hunk. The hottest hunk. Uh, probably Kota Ibushi, right? It is Kota Ibushi. I, mean, I think it's like open and shut. He's got, he's got the body. He's got the hair. His his body is unreal. Like, if he had been entered into that quote unquote bodybuilding competition that they oh, did, he would erect those dudes. He would erect Ishimori. Show who? Tanahashi who? Well, I don't know if he could have touched Peter though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he definitely can't touch Peter because she's with Fale. <laughs> uh, he gets shot on. Yeah, that dojo leader. Bad luck, Fale. But yeah, Rogue uh, General. I'm going Kota. Make jobbers Bushi. great again. <laughs> yeah, I mean Kota Bushi. Um, I mean, I just unbiasedly think that he's the most attractive man on the roster. Now, yeah, it, it's got to be Kota Bushi. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a Bushi hands down. I mean, here's the thing about New Japan. There's no. It's no secret that they have a, a larger female audience fan base than almost any other wrestling company in the world. Um, maybe AEW is starting to kind of appeal to more females here in the States uh, or even, you know, internationally. But there's a reason that New Japan is so popular because they've got a lot of attractive, idol-esque guys on the roster. I mean, you, you look at how many attractive guys there are. I mean, Tanahashi, Okada, Sonata, Shingo, Sho, Ishimori. I mean, the list goes on and on. they got a bunch of ripped dudes who are all hot but like it's probably it's gotta be a bushi yeah yeah uh next question no, from nothing, nothing but the best for kenny <laughs> <laughs> next question from reddit user jtom416 do you see okada versus sonata happening at dominion possibly with sonata defending as the ic champion i don't see why not um but they have to do a lot to build that matchup between now and Dominion to make it a viable drawing card because, again, Dominion is one of the biggest shows of the year, and it's Osaka Joe Hall. And Sonata has never proven himself to be capable of headlining a show of that level of importance or drawing that level of crowd. But could it happen? Yes. Yeah, it's definitely potential. I don't know if it'll be for the IC title because I feel like Okada is either going to be in the title match of that show or, like, in that number one contender spot. So, I mean, they could have Okada versus Sonata, like, the number one contender winner goes to Wrestle Dynasty. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure about it being an IC title match. You know what the funny thing is? I see why he's saying Okada-Sonata because of the story between them. I read this in my mind up until now. I thought he was talking about Naito-Sonata. Mm. And, and then I was confused. I was like, well, why would Sonata be defending the IC title? But, uh... I could actually see Naito Sonata being a potential headliner for that show as well. Yeah, I think that would be a match that would draw. Those are just... I'm not saying that those are the... Like, what I think will be on Dominion. I mean, who knows at this point? And if I had a guess, I would say no. But is it possible for Sonata to be challenging or defending in in, in a big match on those shows? Yeah, I, I think it is. Yeah. Um, another question, Dom Homie 101 He said, am I the only one... That feels like the new that New Japan are building towards an evil versus Sonata New Japan Cup final, 
with how commentary plays up both guys' shortcomings as of late. I saw this question. I think that is a very, very, like, possible outcome. Yeah, both guys have kind of been on the losing end. I mean, Evo a little bit better than Zanata. He's uh, one-third of the Never Six-Man champs. Um, but both guys have kind of had a losing streak as far as singles matches go. Um, you know, they failed to win the World Tag League and getting that IWGP tag title picture. So, yeah, these guys have had a lot of failures as of late, and especially Sonata. They've done a, a good job of kind of telling that story with Sonata. And so both of these guys are going to be looking to have big moments this year. So the New Japan Cup could be the perfect place. And if it's bracketed correctly, yeah, you could have Evil on one side, Sonata on the other, and they meet at the finals. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing with all that. Um you take a look at the current state of LIJ and you've got Naito at the top, but then you also have like Shingo proclaiming that his belt is the only one that matters, you know, and how he's basically going to tear it up in the heavyweight division this year, sort of almost undermining the preeminence, excuse me, of the, uh, the double titles that Naito holds. Uh, conversely, you also have, um, Hiromu, um, Teasing all throughout the road two shows about his desire to hold the IWGP title and kind of playing back to the history between him and Naito. And there's definitely been allusions to the idea of him sort of wanting to challenge for that belt against Naito. And then Evil and Sonata both looking to break out, both guys looking having title aspirations for themselves and kind of being on the short side of things. It seems that there is a little bit to this idea of there being an undercurrent of um what's the word like when there's issues between the guys uh tension yeah there's 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 some growing tension amongst the ranks of lij i mean it's been a long time since we've seen them all come out together and kind of you know celebrate one another that sort of thing i'm not saying that it's the story they're telling for sure but i mean what better way to build up a credible title challenge for one of these two guys, I mean that's it's a great story. They're tag team partners, they're stable mates. The champion is their leader. Um, you know, one of them loses. That's like the ultimate crushing bolt blow that creates even more tension in in the stable itself. You know, we've talked about how people need to break off in this group at some point. Whether they abandon Lij entirely or not remains to be seen. I don't think they will, but. That would be an awesome way to do it. I'm not, I didn't, Who knows? They might not do Evil Sonata. I still think Sonata is my leading candidate to win the New Japan Cup. Yeah, based on the story that they've been telling with Sonata, you know, every year he kind of gets further and further down, down the tournament. Last year he was in the finals with Okada, so it would make a ton of sense for Sonata to kind of be the guy that goes all the way and win it here. But I would love to see an Evil Sonata feud down the line. That's something I actually can get, you know, invested into and – yeah, I think that's a good way to go. I think they, I, th- I, I would, right now, that's the final I want to see based mm-hmm. off of this recommendation. Final question here from Reddit user Viking Payne. What are your thoughts on Jericho trying to get Osprey to take AEW dates? Osprey turned him down, but it seems as if Jericho is doing something, is doing everything in his power to get some sort of working relationship going. Do you guys think Jericho is going to be doing more of this in the future? He named guys like Jay and Ibushi as people he wants to wrestle. Well, um, we talked about this last week and maybe even the week before. It's been a little while. I can't remember. But, you know, so we've already talked about Osprey um, being offered dates by Jericho and that sort of thing. I don't know necessarily that this is even him trying at this point to get a working relationship between the two. But it might be him just try- realizing that Osprey is not signed to an exclusive deal 
and trying to do business with the guy over in AEW. Right. He's trying to pop a rating. He's trying to get pay-per-view buy rates for AEW. Yep. Um, I mean, with him, the question of him doing more of this in the future, that might actually be problematic for his relationship with New Japan because that almost seems like he might be trying to poach guys off. And with the rumor of Archer's potential, you know, going, you know, jumping ship over to AEW, this might become a big concern of, of guys potentially getting poached to go over to AEW, that sort of thing. So, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I really don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, some of these guys are freelancers. They're not signed to exclusive contracts, and they can do that sort of thing, hypothetically speaking. But I don't know if they will. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a story that kind of was uh, in, the, in the news like two or three weeks ago, and it's yeah. kind of passed at this point. Yeah, I don't think um, we'll be seeing much more of Jericho trying to do that. And as far as like working with Jay and Ibushi, he commented that when he was talking about future stuff he wants to do in New Japan. In New Japan. So I definitely think you know we'll probably see a potential Jericho versus JY, Jericho versus Ibushi down the line. But I don't see JY or Ibushi coming over to AEW, and I don't really see Jericho. I mean, when he's over there, I'm sure people might ask him what's what's the potential of working there, but. I don't know if he's going to be actively trying to, you know, poach guys from New Japan. Yes. And then um, that is going to do it for the question. So now we're going to do the uh, recommended match of the week. And it is my week. So um, we are rolling out a new feature here on Keeping It Strong Style where whatever the recommended match of the week is, the other host will be required to go watch that match. And after they've watched the match... When we do the recommended match of the week, they will give a quick recap of their opinions, thoughts, and review of the match. Um, so this will be the first time we do this. I am gonna start by recommending to Jeremy, one of and and you listeners as well, so you guys can follow along and you know watch the match, and then when you come back, you can kind of see if your thoughts and opinions kind of line up with ours. But um, the match I'm recommending is one of the most famous and well drawing matches in the history of New Japan. Uh, it is the match between Nobuhiko Takada taking on Shinya Hashimoto for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship from April 29th, 1996 at New Japan Battle Formation in the Tokyo Dome. This was hot off the... This was um, right in the midst of the UWFI versus New Japan feud. Nobuhiko Takada had uh, wrestled the title off the defending champion, Kiji Muto, um, I believe the month prior, and he was the reigning defending um, new, uh, IWGB champion going into this match, and they set up a huge, huge money-drawing match between him and the ace of the company, Shinya Hashimoto. Um, I don't know how accurate these numbers are, but the the. Rep- the reports are that they did 64,000 um, attendance. Uh, that may or may not be possible. <laughs> but they, they they sold out the Tokyo Dome in 1996. This match is incredible. It goes just a little over 12 minutes, so it's not a long match whatsoever. And it's definitely one of the best heavyweight matches of the era. And it gives you a true um, view as to the two top styles of wrestling between these companies as Takata kind of champions, the proto worked shoot style of UWFI 
it, it, it's almost not even true shoot style. It's almost an entertainment-based version of shoot style. And then you have Shinya Hashimoto, who is the physical embodiment of strong style of under Inoki. And you have these two guys going in there having just a strong style battle. So highly recommend a match. And uh, that's my recommend match to you, Jeremy. Nice. Looking forward to uh, checking that out. And I'll give you guys my review of that match next week during the recommended match of the week segment. And that's going to wrap things up for the show this week. Next week, we'll be back to give our preview and predictions for the Tiger Tori retirement show, the Nakanishi retirement show, and the two New Japan road shows. To the two road shows. <laughs> uh, so if you enjoy today's show, please consider making a donation. By oh, we got, we got a... a Really good donation this past week Yeah we did Shout out You know we don't get the names Of people who donate We just get the amount So thank you to whoever That generous uh, donor was For donating to the show uh, Really appreciate that Everything that's donated Will be going to Making the show better Me and Jeremy uh, haven't decided How we're going to divvy that up So uh, I think we're going to Invest it long term Probably put it like in a CD Or We're going to start a promotion <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll put it in a money market fund <laughs> Keep it highly liquid uh, Earn our 1.2% on it <laughs> So yeah, you can make those donations By visiting socialsuplex.com Slash donate Let's use it to buy WWE stock while it's down <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh So yeah, if you want to help us uh, buy stock Socialsuplex.com slash donate Click on that donate button Under the Keeping It Strong Style logo Make sure you connect with us on social media. The show is at KI Strong Style. I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. You can also follow us at Social Suplex. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Shit Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown men watch this shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, we have Get in the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturday, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr., Amy O., and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Motto, 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 motto. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.